0: Who still remembers Pampiro Furpo? Who booked the screw job in Montreal Who has a good friend named Weasel Dooley Everyone knows it's corny Who managed Bobby Eaton and Condry Who managed Stan Lane and Dr. Tom Who's sick and tired of Kenny Olivier Everyone knows it's corny took a shoot, fall off of the scaffolding Who bled a gusher in a white suit Who said Ronnie Garvin went up like the challenger Everyone knows it's corny It's Jim Cornette's drive through He'll answer questions from you And he won the pony too Thank you, fuck you, ba. Thank you, fuck you, ba. Thank you, fuck you, ba. Thank you, fuck
1: you, ba. Hello again, friends. And you are our friends. And welcome back to another edition of Jim Cornette's Drive Through, right here today where everyone's up and happy and ready for a good show. We're in a good mood. And we're going to have lots of fun. There wasn't that much on Raw. So we're going to get through that pretty quick. And then your questions with this man, the leader of the cult of Cornette, Mr. Jim Cornet.
2: What are you so ding-dong happy about today?
1: Huh? The sun is out. The sky is clear. I could breathe. The sky is blue? Not red? It's a little green if you ask me.
2: Yeah, you had the red sky, lad. The red sun. That was a movie with Toshiro Mifumi. Back in around... Nineteen, what seventy-eight or so thereabouts look it up google it if you want anyway i'm over here
1: hey yes if you were a wrestler hey is for horses and we ain't in the woods as mama Cornette used to say if you lived in new york and you were an independent wrestler or an aew wrestler who happened to be home and the sky cut my throat stop it and the sky i'm not even talking about the parking and the skies turn that color of red do you immediately go outside and try to shoot a promo in it Fuck no! With a red background with all that going on? I immediately go into my goddamn
2: radioactive-proof bomb shelter figuring that this is the big one. If the sky turns red over New York City, chances are you're going to turn into a goddamn subhuman fucking underground dweller within the next 60 days due to radiation poisoning.
1: How are you feeling this week? How many wrestlers uh, in the New York area you think have underground radiation bunkers? I mean, that well, wasn't really an option for everyone you, in the tri-state area.
2: I know, but in the tri-state, well, the people in New Jersey, they, they're radiation-proof. They like, they're <laughs> immune. They built up the immunity because of the landfills. But if you live in New York City, you have the money for a radiation-proof underground bomb shelter. Just till the heat's off. Now, what What's the half-life on uranium these days? Just for a thousand years or so.
1: Could you ever see yourself living in a
2: high-rise? Oh, good God, I did for... Oh. March, April. It w- Was it three months or four months in Connecticut? How big was that building, though? How many floors? Well, we were on 20-something. As I recall, it was probably it was probably 25 or uh, floors or thereabouts. But the goddamn deal was because it's it. And by the way, we're just jumping ahead for those of you who haven't been listening for thirty-five years or whatever. When I first moved to Connecticut to work in the Fabled Titan Tower, before I could find a place to live, they get you. A, I think Watts had been in the same building. I think they put Jerry Jarrett there, or maybe it, he was across the street. But anyway, the paralegal. It's it. What? It, well, no, there was no. There was no illegal paralegals with Jerry Jarrett going on, for heaven's sake.
1: I, I didn't think Jerry Jarrett uh, was the one putting the paralegal in the hotel. I thought no, someone, someone who would be trying to hide a paralegal in a hotel would put a paralegal in a hotel. No, well, this ain't even a
2: hotel. So there was no... This was an apartment building. It was one of those big... Right. That's where they met. Well, wherever... It wasn't this big. It was where they put the fucking stooges. It wasn't where Vince lived, for fuck's sake. It was a goddamn, if you let me tell this story, it was a goddamn building <laughs> in Stamford, Connecticut. About 25, I don't remember how many floors, but goddamn, I used to get nervous in the elevator because it was too high for me. But you, the thing is, they give you the apartment and they pay for it till you find a place to live and blah, blah, blah. And we'll tell that story another day for the purposes of this exercise. You got to, when you drive in, you have to drive in the parking garage. And that's like three or four levels, right? And you, and you get your own parking space, but you have to go around in that thing and you got to have a card to get in the goddamn parking garage. Key card for the gimmick, right? To raise the snabits. And then you park and then you have to have, you have to go in the elevator that goes down to the lobby. And then you got to come out in the lobby and you got to have the fucking key to get into the elevator to go up to your floor and then once you get up to your floor, then the fucking door had three goddamn locks on it. It was literally like fucking Maxwell Smart going into the fucking control headquarters just to come home to this fucking place. Then I'm thinking, well, this much security, it ought to be the goddamn safest place in the world. And the first day we were there... Bill Watts peed off the balcony right under your head. No, that was in Atlanta. Oh the uh the doorman there's a 24 hour doorman security guy uh, fucking at the desk there in the lobby and uh, well the mall's just right across the street well that'll be nice walk to the mall who's ever been able to do that before he said well don't don't do that after dark i said what do you mean <laughs> after dark have one of us go over <laughs> with you just until you get through the garage in the mall there because it's not safe after dark i'm I'm looking at this fucking what's going to happen to me in his 80 feet after dark i said never mind i never went to that fucking mall i was there for four months next door to it i figure if it's not safe after dark it's not safe in the daylight what were we talking about happy talk here on the drive through Well, no, you made me there was some high-rise thing. Oh, the red sun. The red sun. Red sun in the morning, sailors take warning. Red sun (laughs) at night, sailors delight. But if it's red in New York, it's fucking nuclear fallout. Speaking of fallout, have I told you how proud I am of my little puppy dog Harley Quinn? She did something this morning, two things. But one thing in particular that it takes a very talented dog to do, I'll have you know. I took her out bright and early this morning for her morning rousseau. And it was very cool outside, and the you know, just the sun had just come up and the birds are twinkling and everything. And as she goes around in her circles and drops her big morning Russo, it comes out in one piece and stood up on its end, on the ground, Brian, like a little monument. Now, when's the last time you saw that? That she had such incredible aim and trajectory and the the geometric angle of the whole thing that that turd landed right there and just stood up straight up perpendicular up and down like a little
1: monument. Well, it seems like it would be more about coincidence and gravity than any actual skill or ability. No, hey, how many times has Swami done that? I'll save that kind of talk for Reggie's Corner. Well, it'll be too late then. What do you mean? How many shits a dog take after he passes away? I'm not going to... Well, no, I guess I won't talk about Swami and Reggie's Corner. I was thinking of Reggie's Corner as an all-in animal... Catch as opposed to <laughs> That's an all-in animal catch. As opposed to uh just dead animals. What would that be
2: here in the United States where we speak English? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so then the other thing is Harley's made friends with the bunny family. Ugh. We got bunny now, it's a family because I saw the big fat bunny. I've been seeing the big fat bunny for the past several weeks, but now I've seen the baby bunny. And Harley has made friends with the bunny family where they can sit and look at each other from about 10 or 12 feet away and exchange nose wiggles and the various telepathic means of communication that the animals have. And of course, and the bunnies like me now because I've been flipping them baby carrots out under the evergreen tree at the corner of the house and, and along the fence row where I see them. And I've named them now. Mama Bunny, I've named Bad Bunny, and the other bunny I've named Baby Bunny. So now we got Bad Bunny and Baby Bunny over here at the castle.
1: So you won't actually call Bad Bunny, Bad Bunny, but you'll call just some random rabbit that you found dirty in the tree over there, Bad Bunny. <laughs> well, because that's a Bad Bunny. With The bunny has
2: survived, run all the raccoons off. Right? And survived out there in the wilderness and, and popped out a, a a baby bunny without any help from a hospital or a veterinarian or an obstetri- obstetrician, a baby doctor. One of them? So I think that's a pretty bad bunny. This other bunny's had everything handed to him. He's, look at all the gold he's got. Well, he's earned it, hasn't he? Well, can you earn that much gold by
1: just wrapping... If people will, you earn what people will pay, what you you earn what you earn. So yeah, you could because he obviously has. Well,
2: there's danger in the world everywhere, Brian. And these these things, we talked about dog poop. We talked about the red sun, the nuclear meltdown. We talked about all of that that place, that box. Up on the 25th floor that I was trapped in, you, as a matter of fact, you were asking me, could I ever live in a high-rise? I didn't answer that. I actually did answer it. I said I have, but that's not even taking into account those people in New York City, 100 floors up, 100 stories. Something happens, you're completely fucked. How long would it take an ambulance and a set of EMTs to get to the 100th story of one of those skyscrapers if one of those rich old fucks has a goddamn heart attack? and needs mouth-to-mouth rejuvenation.
1: I just hate the fact that the building will sway when you're at that level, the don't hundredth even, floor. Don't even tell me that. Oh, you didn't know that? I mean, no matter what, the building's going to have some sort of sway to it. They have to build it so that it can adjust to whatever the wind's going to do at that height.
2: Well, don't... Let me explain something to you. I'm up here on the top floor of Castle Cornet, and this is about as high as I'm getting. I'm as high as I'm ever going to be right now. High. And 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 this house does not sashay or shimmy or swish or in any way vibrate, even with these high winds we've had. Because I'm I'm flat on the ground. I got a high rise in 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 perpendicular, like Tony Khan laid out his columns. My high rise goes straight out, flat on the ground. It's a hundred feet long. It's not a hundred feet high. Here's something else we got to worry about. Have you seen these these news reports now on the artificial intelligence, the AI? I I mentioned to you for the first six months, I thought they were talking about some guy named Al. But the AI is in the news now that the experts are saying it's going to be the end of humanity. It's going to take over the human race, going to destroy the world. Everybody that knows anything about it is scared. Have you seen this? Yeah, we even talked a little bit about it on the show. Well, I mean, all just in the last week, I saw two or three things people were quoted on the internet, whatever, saying, no, this is the end.
1: No, that's the problem. And, the experts that are talking about this, it's not like, hey, we may have a problem. Every one of them is like, this is really bad. I'm trying to warn everyone. Well, yeah, and I know we were talking about could it replace,
2: you know, promos or this or that or the other thing, but in in basic concept, AI is a thing that the more people know about it, the more that they're scared of it and they're worried about it, and it's going to be bad and it's going to take over the earth and do horrible things, what are we making this shit for? What What? What actually is it good for? Huh, say it again. What, what is it supposed to do except for taking over the fucking world?
1: It's going to it replace makes, human beings' jobs? That's right. It makes mass employers happier because they can get rid of human beings that they'll have to pay, and they could just have a computer do the task that the human being would do, and then the computer will overrun society and kill everyone. Well, yeah, that's the downside. Yes.
2: So, again, since artificial intelligence can't take over, it, they, can they send a truck out with no human beings and pump out my septic tank? can can not yet but
1: probably soon i mean they already have driverless cars well not that i'll be riding in thank you very much but you may be riding on the same road with them they they, they they're out there god
2: damn it i'm gonna view it like it's either them or me and they ain't gonna make it what do you mean you're gonna
1: ram them yes you're gonna ram the driverless cars well who am i gonna hurt well there could be a passenger i'm saying there's no driver that's that's their stupid luck.
2: They shouldn't be riding around in a car as nobody's driving it. But it's somewhat irrational. They they didn't even do anything to you. You're just going to ram it for no reason. They're they're a dangerous menace on the road. I'm trying to do a public service by getting rid of them so they don't hurt anybody. It's preventative. I got it. Somebody could get hurt with a car out there with no driver.
1: So I'm running it off the fucking road to keep people safe. Have you seen in person yet a Tesla driver? who is just not driving their car, the car is driving, us. they're sitting behind the wheel and they're either on their phone or I've seen videos of people sleeping. Have you seen any of this? No, I, well, I see people
2: sitting there on their phone while they're driving every time I get on the interstate. That's why I don't like to drive a lot anymore. But not that they're not actively holding the steering wheel with their knee. No, that's a no. Why would you do that? It's hard enough when, when you're paying full attention to keep these people from fucking killing you. Or then the goddamn interstate will fucking collapse. You saw the I-95. The truck oh, hits in Philly, the, yeah. Yes, the truck hits the, a, a bridge abutment, bursts into flames. Oh, goddamn e- north-south corridor of the northeastern United States is going to be shut down for months. What the classic fuck? Philly. And,
1: classic Philly, classic Philly
2: well you know they are heels but anyway so the point is the artificial intelligence it ain't going to it ain't going to replace heart surgery and it it unless it can cure cancer is that a an appropriate trade off for we're making the thing that will then take us over and destroy the world
1: we're making something that everyone who's an expert is saying can have some can help people in some way right now but eventually Will decide why am I listening to people and decide to destroy human beings. That's well, see, didn't didn't they know that that was going to?
2: I decided that long ago. So it would seem like a computer that would be smarter than me would would take even less time to decide that.
1: Anyway. What got you going on AI? You watching the news?
2: I'm watching the news. I'm, w- I'm waiting to see the pig roasted down in Miami, and I've been watching all the news, and I'm getting some of these tidbits along with it.
1: Because, you know, with AI right now, we've seen you could have AI dialogue, or AI could answer your questions, generating from all the information and data that's freely out there. AI could generate images. I've seen some bizarre images. Some guy put up these images. I guess he put in to AI... Show me wrestling on TV in the 30s, you know, before there was TV. And it put up all these amazing images that are insane, but look fascinating. So we've seen images. We've heard audio. What what did the images look like that were insane? I don't even know how to. It it looked like a giant ring with like six ropes (laughs) and just people jumping in the air, yet the crowd and the milieu was like 1920s it was it was incredible looking in a sense and clearly well not even clearly if you look close enough and try to figure out when it could be from you know it's fake but real enough that it could fool someone that's the problem some kid's gonna discover these images one day and they're gonna be like wrestling in the 1920s had lucha libre gymnast and six rope rings and all this stuff (sighs) Apparently, that artificial
2: intelligence is still more artificial than intelligent.
1: The only things I've heard that have been really impressive, and for whatever reason, it's funny that it's this: when AI copies Dave Meltzer's voice, they get it. I've heard that. Remember, we played one of those. Yeah,
2: it nails Dave Meltzer's voice. Could it be? Could it be that Dave is a robot? That's what's happened. That's what happened. He actually died and was replaced by an artificially intelligent. Clone that was built in a laboratory. Probably they got a two for one. Mike LaBelle, the same people that built the monster out in LA, built a fake Dave Meltzer.
1: Built by Dr. Mike Leno.
2: <clears throat> That's the only way to describe or to explain it, I guess. He's been taken over. He's now an animatron.
1: All right. Well, it's your show. No, it's not. Oh, it's my show. Yes, it is. Well, speaking of animatronics. Monday Night Raw existed again this week. Are we going there yet? Oh, boy. That's why I was
2: trying to talk more about the dog poop and the red sun and the... Yeah. So, Raw is three hours long. That's a factoid for you. Not a lot happens. Every once in a while, something does. Most of the time, it's just there's some movement going on. I'm getting more and more, I mean, Cody Rhodes and Rhea Ripley shine through this sea of mediocrity. And every once in a while, there's a moment, but my God, if I wasn't taking notes, the only thing that I would take away from the program is, boy, there's a lot of commercials, and boy, there's a lot of fucking people talking to me. In, and three hours of it, June the twelfth was no exception to the rule. Okay, we had this debate on my show that we just did a couple days ago. Brian, who is the women's world champion because Rhea Ripley came to the ring, and Adam Pierce give gave, give her Adam Pierce, give her sound like ain't Lola now, Adam Pierce gave her a brand new title belt and called her the women's world champion. And she gave back the blue belt, which is the SmackDown women's belt and took the new gold one with white leather in an exact copy of the transaction that Adam Pearce made with Oscar on smackdown where oscar was the raw women's champion and turned that belt in for a new gold belt at least it didn't have white leather and he called her the women's world champion
1: so what the fuck's going on here vince is back <laughs> i don't know i mean all of a sudden they rushed the draft well, they didn't rush the draft they did the draft They tried to pretend like it was going to be a hard draft and people would stick to the shows they were on. And then, pretty quickly, there was like an intermingling of this person's wrestling, this champion. Okay, what's going to happen? You know, we figured AJ wasn't going to win the Raw belt because he's on SmackDown. But then this Rhea Asuka switcheroo. Well,
2: but then, then AJ came to Raw to team with the guy that, yeah.
1: Yeah, the WWE. Nothing makes sense since 1982. Okay, so while Rhea's belt,
2: it, it looks good on her, Oscar's is as big as her upper body. Remember, it went from her sternum down to her snabits. Rhea's looks nice because at least the leather is a different color than everything else. Otherwise, they they continue to all look basically the same. Dominic came out to celebrate, and then Cody's music plays. And I think, okay, Cody and Dom, we're gonna get that set up here because of the altercation they had last week. And, of course, now that Money in the Bank is coming up, the entrance stage has 15 ladders on it. And Cody comes out and does the promo, puts Rhea over, and reveals he has a match with Miz later on. I'm like, Newman. And they show the VTR, Cody points to the screen, so they show the VTR of, of Dominic slapping Cody last week. And Cody asks Dom for a match at Money in the Bank. And Dominic responds by not saying yes or no, and not answering the question. And Cody presses it, and Rhea steps in and responding for Dominic. He's more of a man than you, but still hadn't answered the question. And Cody says, again, I ask. And they've built this up where Rhea is going to be the one to accept the match for Dominic. And here comes fucking Miz from behind too early and nails, or doesn't nail Cody, but is there and Cody spins around and nails him right as Rhea said he accepts and it didn't get a pop because Cody was punching Miz and it got stepped on. And then Dominic hit Cody from behind, which was supposed to obviously happen, and then bailed out so... Miz was there one sentence too early and killed the fucking reveal of the thing. Did you basically feel that same
1: way coming out of it? I don't know. I kind of got a kick out of it because remember last week in Miz TV, Cody was dealing with Dom and Rhea and he just gave Miz a bonk on top of the head. And that was all it took. And Miz went down. This week, Miz goes to get him. Once again, just gives him the bonk and Miz goes down. (laughs) So I'm getting a kick out of that, actually.
2: But it, the thing is, the way they had built that up, if Miz hadn't been too early, then Rhea would have said, which she did, but nobody heard it, he accepts and they would have got a big pop. And then that's when, if Miz had come in, Cody spins him, spins around, blocks him, nails him, and Dominic has the chance to take the cheap shot and run. And it just, it got stepped on.
1: You know, Miz is a comedy figure on that show. I don't care if you're his biggest fan and you think he's really talented. That's the way he's presented. That's the way he is. But beyond that, Cody, Rhea, Dom, this felt like upper echelon people all interacting. So it's really interesting. And Rhea, Rhea gives off more star presence than almost anyone there. Yeah. Her and Dom are fantastic together. And again, Cody's in the middle of a thing with Brock. This is happening but it doesn't feel like it's taking anything away from that. And I'm really interested to see where this is going. They're doing it on the pay-per-view, Cody versus Dominic. Is it just a one-off thing and then it's back to Brock, is it as simple as Brock said I'm not going to England? <laughs> Who knows what, but this was one of the good segments on Raw. And
2: then the bell rang. Now, um I, first of all, I will say yes uh, for pay-per-view. This is a great way to utilize Cody and Dominic while they're waiting for the third match with Brock. And while Brock is his annual hibernation or whatever Cody called it, Dominic's got a lot of heat in a different way than any of the other heels on the roster. And Cody is the biggest babyface. Cody can wrestle Dominic and win, which he has to, but it ain't going to hurt Dom to do the job because his heat is not about Right now, winning and losing, it's about his gimmick and him and Rhea as a couple and the whole nine yards. And at the same time, Dominic can be elevated by being in the ring and being competitive with Cody. And you know it's not going to be a bad match because Cody's going to lead it and Dominic's been carrying his end of everything. So it helps everybody. And it's another... It's another way for Cody to get a victory without even not only not hurting, but actually helping one of the heels on the roster. So this is
1: perfect. Come on, this is the chance. Brandy and Rhea. This is the chance. This oh, is the time. God. This is the time. Hey, one other thing. Cody's super over. Cody has been just a fantastic babyface in everything he's doing there. The so what do you guys want to talk about? Opening tagline. It just doesn't work, does it? Because there's no reaction. You can't respond to it. Unless you're talking to the viewer at home, and now he's doing it to the building, and they just go, ah! Because you can't say, no, inflation! You can't just yell. (laughs) Like, what are you supposed to yell? Brock! Like, what are you supposed to yell to that or react to that? pick your own personal choice. Aunt Fanny's appendectomy. You know what? Now just say, here's what I want to talk about. And then Brandy can interrupt and say, Who told you it was open, Mike Knight, bitch? <laughs> but I'm your husband. I don't care. But other than that, this is good. And, you know, it's not an in-your-house main event, but it's a good, like, like we said, a good main event between now and whatever's gonna happen with him and Brock. The other question is, what are they gonna do with Dominic? There's nothing really defined with him right now. He's done with his dad, thankfully. The judgment day are having their own internal issues. It appears. Finn Balor may be about to do something else. But other than that, what's Dominic really doing right now? They need to find something for him to keep this going. Yeah, well, and and
2: I can see Dominic and Rhea being a couple uh, um, independent of the Judgment Day. If, if Because Priest, they've obviously got aspirations to be a top single. He wouldn't have had that match the other night. So, you know, but it's a good problems to have that everybody's interesting in their own way, and then there's Finn. But speaking of being interesting in their own way, Cody and Miz had a match, and of course they started it, and it went two minutes to break, and then coming back in very quick fashion, Cody won as he should quickly and decisively, and it's, it's the Miz.
1: You know, Cody, like his dad, the one thing he... Uh- does just like his dad, not just like his dad, but it reminded me of Dusty here. Like, you believe he's in a battle. You never like, yes. think he's like half-assing it. Like, you believe that Cody's <laughs> in some kind of struggle, and you look at him, he's covered in scars, and he has blood from his arm, I think, on this one. You know, he looks like a guy in a scrap, as opposed to most guys who are just doing a tumbling routine. Or, what did you say this morning? What As we were
2: speaking in preparation, um... Human juggling. Human juggling, yes. <laughs> we just the saw that clip juggling.
1: of, uh, what was it, Commander and El de Vikingo and another guy just all, like, dodging each other, noticeably jumping... It was human juggling. It was the only they thing were, I could use to describe it. Well, yeah, they, they were doing exaggerated drop-downs like it was
2: the, the old shell game, and, you know, one of them was covering <laughs> the pea or whatever. Human three-card Monty. <laughs> <laughs> and now, here's your host at ringside, Monty Hall. Or Monty Rock the Third, whichever. Nevertheless. As long as he doesn't pant. The panting announcer uh, will strike again later so and real quick let's skip through much of raw and get to the high points becky lynch did a promo in the ring about money in the bank which led to zoe stark interrupting her and doing a promo which led to cruella and chelsea interrupting her which led to becky getting into a match with chelsea that went 30 seconds to the break and
1: then becky beat chelsea thoughts what'd you think of that zoe promo it's the first time I've really heard her talk on her own, and uh, it was uh, it was interesting. Now, I remember
2: we we heard her a couple of weeks ago when she got lost and had to ask Trish, and uh, Trish it, mumbled something. Oh, that's off right, that's yeah, that's
1: right. Well, this was another one in that canon. It, it
2: they've they're throwing a lot of the NXT talent in the deep end of the pool right off the bat, and I uh, so let's get to the Judgment Day situation, because they were in the back, and why is there not only purple lighting, but smoke? Smoke! You saw the, the smoke? In the, in the hallway of the arena where they're standing.
1: That's where they make the hot
2: dogs. It's time to make the hot dog. So they're standing in this cloud of smoke, and a hearty high silver, and Damian Priest and Dominic and Rhea are happy. They're talking about all the good things going on, but Finn over there is is morose. He's very morose. He he looks perturbed, because he says he's got a lot on his mind. And then Damian says, well, he, he wants to be alone out there for his match tonight. Because remember last week he wanted to do it by himself, and Finn came out and flummoxed the whole thing for him. Which is a total babyface move. Yes. So, but at the same point, you know, I don't know. I think I think it'd be better if Finn was the smiley little baby face. But nevertheless, uh so Priest wants to wants to be alone, and Finn's got a lot on his mind, and Dominic and Rhea are happily, joyfully in love. And then we go to the Money in the Bank qualifying match between Matt Riddle and Damian Priest. From the outhouse to the penthouse. So, it's riddle. There wasn't anything the matter with this. They actually went six minutes before they went to a break because they had to cross the top of the nine o'clock hour. But, I mean, it's it's one of their matches. And Priest finally wins with the razor's edge, which was the right result. But, you know, again, the... The match is secondary to all the Falderall going on and presented as the most breakable into thing. We can always take a break during a match, not an entrance, not a promo, but so it was a WWE-style match. Nobody got hurt. Nothing more to see here. And then here comes Gunther and Kaiser Wilhelm to the ring. And Priest faces off with Gunther, and then Priest says, Pick the bones, which kind of makes him very heelish, (laughs) even though he's wanting to do everything all by himself from his partner. And then Gunther goes in and kicks Riddle a couple of times and hits him with a chop, and they stand there while the music plays. Let the music play.
1: That was about it, wasn't it? Yep. And then the music stopped playing. I'm not a Riddle fan, and. You know, when things started getting really hot again where we were paying attention it was kind of when he was off TV and gone for a little bit. Yes. And then they brought him back and they reintroduced him into it and they tried to kind of jam him into the top stuff with Owens and Zayn and the Usos. I don't know. I'm not feeling it. And I think there's a lot of guys there right now who deserve a bigger chance and we're seeing the reaction some people get. I don't get Riddle and I don't particularly enjoy watching him So I watched a match, but I didn't really care too much for it. Priest, again, what are they doing with him? Are they going to turn him face, which is the classic Vince mistake when a heel starts, you know, showing too much personality? Or are they going to just keep him where he is? I actually, you talk about Rhea and Dom, I like Priest and Dom because of that dynamic of the big guy with the deep voice and the little punk who starts all the trouble and needs the big guy with the deep voice to back him up. Well, we've always,
2: Priest and Rhea and Dominic, All fit together. Finn's always been the odd duck. But speaking of odd ducks, uh, since Cody got uh, his match stepped on earlier by, or announcement by Miz, they, he's in the back, the match is official now, they reiterated it, make sure everybody knew it's coming. And Cody had a great line, he said, Brock won't show up and Dominic won't go away. Um, but Cody, even on these in the back, he's animated. He speaks well. You can tell he, he finally did look at the camera at the end to make his point. You know, he he obviously would do it more if they didn't have that. That's another weird thing they do where don't look at the TV camera in front of you. But his are the only backstage stuff that has any life or naturalness to it. Everybody else is kind of just reciting the thing i don't
1: know yeah you know i mean eh, i'll save my comment for when we get to the next thing all right
2: well getting to the next thing sammy and owens were in the back talking to gunther and kaiser because the other the other stooge what is his name they've had so many of them Ludwig Borga, I don't fucking know. Marcel, isn't he Marcel? He's Marcel or Marcel. That was before they changed their name. Oh, shit, that's right. Yeah, but it it, it doesn't matter. The Baldwin, He got hurt by Riddle putting the ankle lock on him last week. Maybe he really is injured and that was a cover, but nevertheless, tonight, it's going to be Gunther and Kaiser against Sammy and KO, and now they're doing the thing where Owens just has the shortest temper in the world and has no patience and just starts blowing up and going off and yelling and mad and what's going on here? And, ah, oh, they're too close to me. So now he's losing his fucking mind, apparently. And something's going to go on. This is going to lead to something with him and Sammy at some point. I don't know how long they're going to milk it. But in this whole thing, Gunther barely spent, now Gunther is teeming is with one of his stooges in a losing effort for the tag team title just because they want allegedly compelling programming. So I wasn't really a fan of them even making this match because it diminishes Gunther standing as a top singles guy. To me, I'm sorry.
1: Anyway, so that was that. Yeah, I'm not really into this new Owens thing because now it's been several times where he just starts yelling and storms off. It's a little too cheesy for me. Wilhelm delivers his lines great, but he's delivering lines. You know, he stands at the weird WWE camera angle, you know, where you're supposed to just twist your body a little. And then he speaks. Like, no one talks to anyone else in the world ever like that. (laughs) Ah, the ring Like, just talk. I mean, that's the thing. As stupid as the Owens thing of him yelling and everything, he's the only one acting anywhere near natural in this whole thing. Gunther. Is great at just standing there and smirking. He never changes his expression. He just gets more arrogant. And it works so well for him. Everything works for him, but except the people he's surrounded with
2: that he has no control over. And that's what brings him down. But
1: they didn't have any- to be they didn't have to be flunkies and stooges, you know? That's just No, the way- they didn't. Hey, old uh Kaiser here. He's in great
2: shape. He's a good-looking guy. He can work. They've just presented them as toadies. Speaking of toadies, we got a uh, the great hopping frog of Calabasas County, Ricochet, in a Money in the Bank qualifying match against Bronson Reed. Have we
1: not seen this about five times? Well, again, Nakamura just got involved in this match. Well... We've seen a combi- i think we've seen them in a three-way or was someone else in that austin theory was in that match with reed and lashley you know they're all different people and they all feel the same as i'm going through this <laughs> i don't know if we've seen this but it feels like we've seen it 10 times i think they've
2: been mad at each other for a while but um uh, again the two minutes to break deal and then they come back and go a couple more minutes and shaky nakamura's at ringside so bronson reed throws ricochet into him like a lawn dart and shaky attacked bronson and got ricochet dq'd and ricochet was mad at shaky but bronson jumped both of them and went up to the top but they stopped him and took 30 seconds to get a grip on him gave him the world's shortest suplex i've never it, it defied gravity that he had already landed before he took off somehow it was that low And the fans chanted, holy shit, but they muted shit, so you, holy, holy. Yeah, that was awkward. At least they're better on the button than they are in AEW, where they'll say, shit, fuck, goddamn, "pissed,"
1: motherfucker, and then they'll bleep, but. Yeah, they'll bleep holy, and then you'll hear shit and moxie and go, fuck! Yeah. (laughs) Fuck shit. Fuck shit. I've heard more fucks on AEW than any wrestling show, including ECW, ever. I've heard more fucks
2: on AEW than fucking Pornhub. Anyway, so then...
1: What does that even
2: mean? Well... I've heard more fucks. Well, (laughs) hey, if you you had only seen what I heard... (laughs) Well... All right, so Sammy was in the back with Owens again, telling Kevin that he's blowing up a lot lately... And, uh, you know, are you okay? So, I'm, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. I, is he a, Is it a meth addict gimmick that we're, or somebody's been injecting him with some kind of, you know,
1: amphetamines? Um, that would be something. It would be because I don't think he has a drug problem in real life to try to capture what's happening in society. If all of a sudden he just came out on TV and yelled, I'm on cocaine! <laughs> And that could be the new gimmick, but because he's not on cocaine, you can kind of play with it and ride it, cause you don't have to worry about him actually doing all the cocaine. Well, but what about life imitating art? Then we could
2: uh, he could develop a problem because he was he was on the set snorting all that baby powder. He'd get a taste for the real stuff. The Next waxing. thing you know, he's bouncing off the walls. Who is Adam Pierce talking to on the phone? Who are we led to believe he's talking to on the phone? I believe it's Nick Khan. But have they ever no. <laughs> dropped any hints? No, I don't know. I know it's not Ross. That's no, it's not because, first of all, fuck Sid and Ross. But <laughs> But have they dropped any hints about who it could be? Or is it, he's always just saying yes, sir, or no. He's reporting to, is it the chief of control? Or is it possibly the chief of chaos?
1: I guess the viewer at home should assume it's either Triple H or Vince McMahon, because that's the only thing that, if you watch the show, you would think... Those are the only people you would think are higher than Pierce, based on the way things go here.
2: Well, no, there, there's several people in that company higher than Adam Pierce, regularly. In terms but, of uh, the corporate ladder. Okay, well... In case then <laughs> Then one would think that he would put the phone got it down and go, Hey, Triple H just said, because the people know Triple H, he's on TV, he's around... Are they going to make the big reveal? Is it going to be he's been talking to Vince all along?
1: Maybe it's Shane. That'll be an interesting twist. Well,
2: it just depends on how twisted Shane gets.
1: If all of a sudden Shane shows up again with Dabo (laughs) Kato and takes over Raw, it would be chaotic. I'd watch that. Shane McMahon's Raw, give it like two weeks. By then everyone will be sick of it, but it'll be great. I wonder if he'll bring Dabo Cato and Dabo Cato's brother Cato
2: Dabo, Cato <laughs> Kalen, and then we get and and Cato Kalen could be their manager. And there's Cato Dabo and Cato. All righty. Um. Anyway, uh, apparently Ricochet's mad at uh, Bronson Reed and wants a rematch. But Pierce says sorry. Bronson's uh, wrestling shaky next week, and Ricochet tells shaky off, and then shaky answers him but I'm not sure whether he answered him in English or Japanese, because I thought I recognized a couple of the words, but not the way that Shakey was saying them. And then here we go. The 10 o'clock hour. Yes, folks, we've gone through two hours of this program already. Finn Balor came out to the ring to talk to us and called out Seth Franklin Rollins. And he came out dancing, and the people were singing, Whoa, 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 whoa. And I was going, Whoa is me. And there was prolonged fan singing. Again, 25 years ago, if it was Austin and
1: Rock standing in the ring, Vince would have been screaming, Get to it! Get to it. Here's the other thing. Even if the fans really love doing it live, and clearly they do, if you're the home viewer. At a certain point, aren't you going to get sick of seeing this over and over again? Because it's not like anything happens. It's just he stands there, closes his eyes, or he actually conducts them like he's Leonard Bernstein. thought it was Bernstein. Well, it could be whatever you want it to be. Lenny.
2: Lenny. Well, the thing is, it, i that's where I reached that point here. I wrote, I don't fucking care what they're going to say. All this shit takes forever. And nothing happened. They talked for 10 minutes
1: and Seth called him a little bitch and left. You know what? I was trying to figure out how to, yeah, I always say it's like Seth Rollins is on PCP. That's the character, but there has to be more to it than that. There's got to be a tranquilizing agent in there somewhere, because if he was on
2: PCP, he'd be fucking ripping fans' eyeballs out in the front row, right? Well, I'm
1: not going to run away from the uh, Angel Dust accusations uh, for the kayfabe character here, but I think— Well, no, I'm saying there's a cocktail going on to where it it brings him up, but it takes him down at the same time. But I figured it out, just in terms of the nonsense and the way he behaves and everything. Imagine, like, a modern CrossFit Bugsy McGraw on Angel Dust. On Angel yes,
2: Best. yes, there you go,
1: or either just on
2: angel <laughs> one or the other, whoever that may be well you you would have known, but anyway, Bugsy McGraw, that's a good uh comparison Crossfit so
1: Bugsy McGraw
2: cry- well and, and and you know, Bugsy was in shape for his day, for his time, as the brute he was very brutish. All right, Raquel and Shayna were next. And Raquel is so happy and made up, she barely resembles the woman that she was a year ago. And Shayna won in two minutes, even though <laughs> Raquel is a foot taller and a lot stronger. Um, and then we had one Viking wrestle Shoosh Boy. And Chad Gable is a great athlete, but the gimmick is Grizzly Death. But it doesn't matter, because the Vikings apparently have pissed somebody off, because this giant Viking fuck got beat by Shoosh Boy in... Was that one minute? Did it last a minute? Boom. I, fa- I fast-forwarded up. a minute. I don't even know. No, it was it was over in a minute. Boom. That quick. I didn't have time to hit the button. And then... The Rhea Ripley package came up, and boy, is she a movie star. And as a matter of fact, I wrote here, she's the, and then I didn't write anything else because I was too busy watching this package because I can see her in Hollywood in five years. She is the female rock. This girl is going to make major motion pictures and sitcoms, baby
1: are you there well was that a pitch to me uh i don't know i mean i think she's beautiful and talented but i don't know what roles there will be for these films oh come on all the fucking what about
2: the kill bills it came out she 20 kill, years she ago can, she could kill bill well that was 20 years ago they're overdue for a remake you and see her? As, of, you see her as the good as the uh, good guy or the bad guy in the either movie. way She's the good girl that you want to cheer for. She's the bad girl that you want to cheer for. And, 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 and all of the uh, the uh, the big action movie, what was the goddamn action movie that old Charlize Theron was in?
1: Charlize Theron, what was that?
2: Yeah, she was in some, she could She could be all three of Charlie's Angels. Do trick photography and make Rhea Ripley all three of Charlie's Angels. They're, the movie roles are endless. She's the the female Schwarzenegger, the female Stallone. Hey. Not the female Moxley. I'm the male Stallone. (laughs) Anyway, that was her package. What'd you think of Rhea's package? Uh, I don't know what else to add to that. (laughs) I mean, it was a video package. It was all right. Well, there you go. So Finn Balor was in the back of the building giving advice to... One of the new flunkies that they have brought up to the main
1: roster. Did you recognize him? That was that um, Devlin wrestler we saw a couple of weeks ago. And then when he left the building, Finn was watching him. They both sound the same. I'm assuming they're from the same place. And now they'll be uh, aligned. Uh, and he's, he's even smaller than Finn is. So Finn
2: asked Priest, if Finn wins the title... And if Damian Priest wins the Money in the Bank contract, will Damian Priest try to cash in on Finn Balor? A lot of ifs there. And Priest says, no, I wouldn't do that to you, but are you going to keep your word to me this time? mean, to stay out of my beeswax, right? And um, that's where they're at. And then we came to the main event. That is right, ladies and gentlemen, 3 hours almost into this program, that's all you saw. And the uh, did you notice again that something is going to happen about this. Owens makes his entrance with his mean-sounding music. And then he comes out there and and waits at the entranceway, and then they transition to Sammy's music, and it always gets a bigger pop, and Sammy's music is happy, and the people can sing woe to it, too. Uh, it, it, The pops are not as big, or maybe it's just this match this night, but I, I don't know that Sammy out of the bloodline situation. I'm not talking about just being out of the bloodline, but out of the bloodline, not wrestling them or opposing them or being involved. It doesn't seem to be as big, or maybe just this crowd, or maybe it's just the show they'd sat through. But still, Sammy gets a bigger pop than Owens. They and Owens looks back over his shoulder like, are they coming out? They gotta be gonna do something at some point. But Owens and Sammy make their entrance. They go to a break. Then they come back. There's more backstage cackling from Seth about Finn. Then they show Owens and Sammy still in the ring with their music still playing in the arena. Then they billboard Logan Paul is going to be back on the show next week. Then they plug another match next week. Then Imperium makes their entrance. Then they have a VTR of Gunther beating Owens and then Riddle injuring Da Vinci, or whatever the fuck his name is. Then they have in-ring introductions. The bell rang 11 minutes to start the match after the entrance of the baby faces started. <laughs> and they went 90 seconds. Sammy did a dive, and they went to break. And when they came back, they had four minutes of match, and they went to a three-and-a-half-minute long commercial break. And when they came back, there was less than seven minutes remaining on the air in the, in the program. And the people were screaming in that last segment of, and you saw Sami Zayn powerbomb Kaiser off the uh, turnbuckle, and the announcers saying, what a match we're seeing. Apparently they were, but we weren't seeing much of it. And then, after they got the heat on Sammy, they make simultaneous tags to Owens and Gunther, what passes for a hot tag in that company these days. And Owens makes a comeback, hits Swanton, gets a two count, they go back and forth between Gunther and Owens, and then they just, boom, both of them take a bump and do another simultaneous tag to Sammy and Kaiser and they go back and forth and then he tags Gunther back in and Gunther hit one of the goddamnest clotheslines I've ever seen in my life on Sami Zayn got a two count and hit another one got a two count and then they tag Kaiser back in remember when we were talking about tag team matches the other day I was like why the fuck can they not just get the heat tag the baby face, make a comeback, go into their fucking finish, all the tags, it confuses the issue, and it wears everybody down. But anyway, he's back in, and they do a double team, and Owens saves, they do a big four-way, Riddle comes trying to run down the entranceway with the agents holding him back, and Gunther comes out and kicks him, and Owens levels Gunther, and Sammy hits his finish on Kaiser. One, two, three. About the last five minutes or so of the show was wow, that was just fun. That was just swell. We had to wait two hours and fifty-five minutes to get there.
1: Well, that was raw. And uh Boy, it certainly was. You know, maybe we don't review this anymore. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm thinking maybe we might need to switch to
2: NXT at some point. And all said, we got this goddamn two more hours of AEW every week starting this week. Can you say overexposure?
1: All right, Jim. Well, this is my show, so let's move away from the uh, garbage. And let's get to some of the good stuff. Let's move have move slowly, slowly away from the wrestling there on Raw. The Albatross on Monday night. Let's get to some fun. Let's have a good time here on the show. I sent you something that a lot of the listeners started sending me. <laughs> and I watched it. And I have to say, I was tremendously entertained by it. And I kind of see what a lot of people who I'm friends with have told me about RJ City on his show. I guess it's called Hey EW. <laughs> There's an episode where he interviewed Sky Blue, who we've talked about ah. on the show. We've never heard her do a promo, but we've <laughs> seen her in the ring. We've seen her matches. Did you watch this? Yes, I did. Yes, I did.
2: It was like watching Robin Williams as Mork from Ork interviewing a cabbage. <laughs> what? what? It. <laughs> and first off, let me say that RJ City has no business whatsoever being anywhere near a fucking wrestling television program i will say that because the business is silly enough and this guy is fucking hilarious but <laughs> not for a wrestling show he needs a he should have been the guy that took over the daily show from john stewart wow. Instead of that fucking whoever the fucking guy was that did i haven't watched it since trevor noah but he's left now well, thank goodness he wore out his welcome his first day. But no, put him on, put him on the a network show at 11:30 at night. He's a fucking hilarious motherfucker. I'm just saying the modern wrestling shows are already too silly, and I don't know exactly how you would put his talents to work in a real wrestling program. But this was the most amazing verbal evisceration of this. Sky Blue is completely vacant of any personality or any conversational ability whatsoever. And everything that he said, she didn't even understand the words he was using, much less the context they were in. And the stuff was so quick and it was going over her head. And he was trying to make. I don't know. if I've never met the girl. So he has, because he works there. Did, were they ribbing her that she's just such a, a mud fence that she can't say anything? She has nothing to add? She's not in any way wanting to be a performer? She, uh, they alluded to her being scared or nervous about promos, but then he just ripped her apart.
1: In a nice, funny way. Well, yeah, but... for the people who haven't seen this, he's not there cutting a promo on her or anything. That's not what he's doing. No. He's it's interviewing it's... her. Well, but he's so
2: good, and he's so quick, and he's so fast, and she's got absolutely nothing to fucking say that it's the most amazing, complete polar opposite of an interview I'd ever seen. And it's like when she did start speaking, you wanted you were mentally begging her to stop so you could hear more RJ City because what she she some she had a story where in church she got kicked out of church for setting another kid on fire <laughs> and he had to tell the story because <laughs> obviously they'd gone over it in pre-production he knew the story because she wouldn't tell he was her story and he had to tell her the story in a way that made it sound like that she was Telling it, but she wasn't telling it. And then he pissed all over that.
1: He gave her a promo to read because she was talking about she hates doing promos. She can't read. But the last few lines were some of the funniest lines. They were so simple. But she's reading this with no passion.
2: No, no, no. It wasn't no she wasn't reading it with no passion. She was reading it like she was in a remedial reading course in school, and this was the first time she'd seen English
1: words written on a paper. I think the last lines were, you'll be black and blue but I'll be just blue, sky blue. It's <laughs> <laughs> the funniest fucking line.
2: And when he, when he asked her about what she thought about different shades of the color blue. And she,
1: you know, <laughs> how about when but, he asked I her mean, about yeah. Ray Gunkel? That's the, that's the one where it won me over. I was like, geez, of all the things to ask her about, Ray Gunkel. <laughs> he,
2: he asked her who, who was her, uh, what were her comments on three wrestlers, Corporal Kirshner, Ray Gunkel, and somebody she'd actually heard of. Uh, but but anyway, but yeah, I mean, RJ City needs to have some type of segment on the Daily Show, or needs to be one of the roving reporters on Comedy Central, or whatever the case. It was amazing, and at, at about halfway through, you realize that he's doing this partially to entertain himself because he was getting nothing from her. But I'm wondering, and like I said earlier, they know that she was completely clueless and almost incapable of speech and they, they put her with the quickest guy in the company. Was it a rib on her is what I'm wondering. And then they showed it. I mean, again, if I was producing the program or any, I don't know if they have producers for their internet segments or if they just get a camera together and whatever, but some point somebody had to clear it, to put it on YouTube. She looks like a complete imbecile. I would have said, okay, whoa, let's not do this. Sky, Miss Blue, if you are not any more comfortable than that or can't come back with, I don't know, responses that sound like complete sentences, we can't air this, no matter how good RJ City is. I (laughs) mean... I'm, I I I loved it, but I'm
1: thinking about it that way. I'm like, why did they make this girl look like a complete fucking, but fucking foon? Well, again, maybe she didn't see it that way. And RJ City, the show Hey EW, it's been something AEW's put on their YouTube channel for a while, so it's been established as a show she would know what she was getting into.
2: Well, then she don't have much judgment in what she's getting into. He's really good, though. He's fucking fantastic.
1: He's really like good. <laughs> This Not in really a wrestling good. context, but God damn it. Hold on, I on have a... On The Daily Show. Let's, uh, let's play a sample here so people can hear a little bit of what we're talking about.
3: Female David Otunga. Yep. You come to the ring wearing a backwards hat. Yep. Explain that.
4: Um, I kind of just... Well, the first one I ever got, my mom got me. Okay. Um, and then I lost it because a fan stole it. hmm And then I made another one and I just kind of came to thing just stick it on the Okay, my head.
3: and you don't get any pushback from the network? TBS is okay with it. It's just such a rebellious statement, you know. What's next? Again, <laughs> you tie your jacket around your waist?
4: I do that when I have the elbow cast. See? She's <laughs> she's really a wild one.
3: And and it's airbrushed yeah. on the back, right?
4: And then I make them sparkly.
3: So what happened? You went to Six Flags or some guy in the middle of a mall and you said, my name's Sky. And he said, sure it is. And you dropped $25 on that. And then you don't even show you know, the front ones, of it on
4: camera? These ones I get from the South Side. It's very scary when I have to go get them okay. on the South Side. But the first one was from Wisconsin Dells.
3: Oh, wow. Yeah. And then you don't show it. You know, it's on the back of the hat. Why not airbrush the front of the hat or turn, turn the hat around? around? I'll just turn it around. OK. And they, they don't sell this as merchandise. Does that bother you? Should they be selling Sky Blue hats? Probably. Look into the camera and tell Shop AEW. <laughs> yeah, what to, he said. What he said. No, no, I'm interviewing you. Take ownership of your hat. Say, hey, Shop well, AEW. I mean, there's fans that make them. So you can't sell them. them. Do you want to make any money in this business at all? <laughs> Same thing David Otunga said. I'll be stopping there. There's
1: a sample of it. It's like she's seven years old. <laughs> Oh my God. You want them to sell the hats while the fans make them? Don't you want to make money in this business? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> ah, he's won me over. You know, I saw him on that pregame show at Renee, and it was just. He wasn't really good in that role, but it was just. It wasn't a good pregame show. It was laid out, it was produced poorly, and it wasn't a good use of him. He's quick and he's funny, and he has a wrestling humor that he could mix in so people like us could laugh. Again, he's not on the shows, really. But for this, this is great. Sky Blue. I'll never see her the same way again now. I don't after that. I don't know if you'll ever see her again. <laughs> well, there it is. RJ City, Hey EW with Sky Blue. But Jim, another topic a lot of listeners have sent in questions about. Let's stay on the topic of AEW. Frankie Kazarian recently did an interview. I'm trying to see where this is from. With Kurt Angle, apparently. Here's a quote from Frankie Kazarian a lot of listeners have wanted to hear your thoughts on. I still had two years left on my contract when I left. I made the decision to leave. He's talking about AEW. Yeah. I still had two years left. I probably could have been there much longer. I re-signed at the end of 2021, and in hindsight, being what it is, I probably shouldn't have. But again, AEW, I was there since before day one. I was there when this was the germ of an idea, or excuse me, a germ of an idea. I was there discussing this company when they didn't even have initials attached to it in these rooms with Cody and the Bucks and Paige and Sky and CD. So again, I was committed. I want to try to ride this thing out. It just became apparent to me that what I like and what I appreciate about pro wrestling and the way I like it presented was not happening at AEW, and that's not an indictment at them, it's just what they perceive as good television wrestling, and what I do, are different things, and just the business model, everything. Again, it was one of those things. I feel that I have so much more to offer than what I was being utilized for at AEW. So I bet on myself, and I made the decision to walk away, and I'm very thankful I did, it's by far the best decision I could have made. What are your thoughts on Frankie Kazarian's comments about leaving AEW? Well, a, a
2: professional, first of all, he's not burying anybody, even though he's saying what he thinks. I've liked Kazarian. I worked with him in TNA back in what 06 to 09, and he was one of those guys, along with Bobby Roode and and some of the other guys, that you know, for whatever reason basically, you know, the the big ex-television names that monopolize the main event spots, those guys, you couldn't use them on top for long for uninterrupted periods of time without having to throw in the, you know, the ex-WWF mix or whatever. But he's, always, he's been a great worker and a great talent. And he's from California, so on a, obviously he was in those rooms and those talks and those meetings with all those other guys. If what they were talking about as the way they wanted to present wrestling that he wasn't offended by in those talks, but you can imagine what Tony has done to even the ideas that they had as to now that he sees it when it's come to fruition. Holy shit. We weren't talking about this. And other, honestly and realistically, you see this guy, how old is he? Out of mid-40s, maybe early 40s, tops? Because uh, he's been wrestling about probably 20 years now. He's still He's still in good shape from what we saw, and he still wanted to work, but he didn't. 45. Okay, there you go. You barely ever saw him on television when he was still there. And you know he's sitting there thinking, like we've mentioned, a lot of these guys have to be thinking, some of them just want to take their money and they don't give a shit. But others, even if they're getting paid, are like, look at this fucking clown show on television and I'm sitting in catering? Look at this fucking Rotten Girls match. Look at this fucking jack-off with his hand shoved up in his crotch getting 20 minutes every week on TV and I've been in the business 20 years and can work and whatever and you know I'm not being used and when I am used it's on this program of insanity you know I can see where he probably said I want to go somewhere where I can work and I can be utilized and uh, the have one more run in wrestling to enjoy myself and show what I can do before I get too old and at the same time even though there's not that many programs or promotions you can be proud of being a part of up and down the show these days, something with a little more fucking restraint than this goddamn massive clusterfuck that they got involved in.
1: Remember when AEW started, he was with SCU. They were the first tag team champions. And once they broke up, it was like they never knew what to do with him. Remember they just randomly announced one day, he's the elite hunter. Yeah. Which was good to know because I thought it was just a generic guy in a hoodie at ringside jumped the rail. They never said who it was. All of a sudden you just see some unknown force in the middle of all this. It's Kazarian. Remember one time early on, there was even something where like, what were they doing where he did it? He went after MJF on like the po- on the uh, stage and security thought it was a fan and they tackled him. And like, <laughs> I don't want to say they beat him up or anything, but they, uh, they roughed him up not knowing it was Kazarian. There was like no use for, I mean, not no use for him, but the way he was used. He went from being the first tag team champion, part of the California click, to kind of just being a guy in the background running around for no reason. Well, remember the early
2: publicity when AEW first went on the air also about Scorpio Sky was that he was probably going to be the breakout star and possibly a future AEW champion. Does he work there anymore? He's going to be on collision, they announced. Oh, that's right, because we haven't seen him on Dynamite in, what, about a year, year and a half?
1: What the f- Yeah, I think since the beginning of last year, right? That's when he lost the TNT title to Sammy.
2: I can't keep track. Or was it, you know, it Cody? Or, or, or was it possibly Frankie? Moe, Larry, or Curly. <laughs> so, yeah, so I don't blame Kazarian, because- Obviously, he's not wanting to go out there and start his whole career from scratch again, but he would would like to contribute and do his thing for another few years or whatever, and not be, I guess, in the middle of all of whatever the fuck is going on over there.
1: You know, so many guys, when AEW first started, you know, you would hear people talk about it. They wanted to get away from the idea you had to, or you felt obligated to re-sign with WWE, even if you weren't happy. You were making all this money... He kind of knew what your life was going to be like. Why not resign? There's nothing else to do. And then what AEW was supposed to be, here's the here's the other side of it. Frankie Gazarian, sounds like they were ready to re sign him, or they did resign him. He got out of his yeah. contract for the, I'm assuming, either the same amount of money or maybe slightly more. And he saw the way he was being used. It wasn't worth it. You gotta be happy too with what you're doing. It can't be just about money. Yeah, well, see, that's why
2: again, all these kids who had just done independence all their life and are 23 or 4 or 5 years old or whatever and have never been on television, they're like, oh, yes, yeah, so you're gonna pay me more money than I've ever seen before? Sure. But then later on, when it's for the people that are serious about the wrestling business and or you know, how much time they've got left in it or whatever, you don't want to be a just Standing there being handed a check when you've still got something to prove, or you'd like to be in a, a program that makes half ass sense. I don't know. I don't know what his specific issue was with all the many issues that AEW has with their production and their their way of presentation. I'm pretty sure that anybody worth a shit seeing pockets getting 20 minutes a week on national television because he's you know, the, the pet of the boss and they're sitting in catering is going, what the fuck a test pattern would be better than this fucking guy. That's got to create some kind of animosity.
1: Jim, our next question sent a corny drive through at gmail.com from Charlie in Starkville, <laughs> Mississippi. I knew it. Hi, Jim. Gangrel Hi. recently Hi. said he would have won the European title but got punished for a backstage steroid incident Gangrel said quote i don't know who it was a backstage guy he was taping people trying to sell him a bunch of steroids i happen to be one of the guys that was there even though i didn't do anything or whatnot now <laughs> do you remember the incident well i don't even understand the incident when i just who was taping who doing what to who According to this quote from Gangrel, I don't know who it was, a backstage guy. He was taping people trying to sell him a bunch of steroids. So wait a minute. People were
2: trying to sell this backstage guy that Gangrel didn't know steroids, but the guy was taping them trying to sell him steroids? Or who is
1: him? Too many pronouns, pal. I don't know if this is conflating things or... What not, to put it as Gangrel did. What was Sean Stasiak? He got in trouble for taping guys in the back, right? What, yeah, what he did... And, of course, he had a
2: defense, and I can't remember what it was, and the whole thing was stupid anyway. Sean had a way of getting heat on himself just with things. he He was one of these people that overthought a lot of things. And apparently what he was accused of... And the evidence to back it up was there was a tape recorder running in his bag. He would leave the tape recorder running in his bag and leave the rooms to see if people would fucking talk about him behind his back. And somehow, somebody got wind or figured something was happening and looked in the bag and there was a tape recorder. Nevertheless, I I have never heard... I don't, uh, first of all, the European title, that's not like I was about to beat Muhammad Ali for the title in the garden, but that, no, it was the European title who gives a shit. I mean, I don't, it it might have been punishment if you won it rather than lost it, but I'm uh, trying to search for something that I could conflate with Gangrel having a, that's why I said backstage steroid incident. That sounds like he was caught actually doing it backstage. But I don't know what other party would be in the back recording the guys trying to sell or give or... I don't know what the fuck.
1: All right, so let's uh, say thank you, Charlie, and... But I like Gangrel! That's good to know, but thank you, Charlie, as Dusty Rhodes would say.
5: No, that's a ridiculous and stupid question.
1: And there it is. (laughs) Jim, let's get another question here on the show. This one was sent to cornydrivethrough at gmail.com from Jack in South Australia with the recent events taking place at New Japan with Mercedes Monet being injured mid-match and calling an audible to have Willow Nightingale go over and become the first New Japan Pro Wrestling Strong Women's Champion. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on if this happened before, a wrestler calling such a big decision mid-match without approval from the office. And if so, how was this received? Good gosh. Actually, let me finish it. There's a little bit more here. How else could this have been done? I find it mind-boggling that Mercedes made this call despite Willow not being signed to New Japan Pro Wrestling. Well... In some cases, I mean, she broke something, right? Was it a break, or what was the injury? I want to say a broken ankle, but I'm not certain. But it was something severe that she couldn't wrestle anymore that match, yeah. Well, here's the thing. If you just, if you got a stinger,
2: or you sprained something, or whatever, I don't think that you would take that drastic of a move. But she probably knew, oh shit, I broke something, and this is going to be a while and and just had the thought, you know, why not? I ain't going to be wrestling again for a while. It didn't, it didn't fuck up any plans in that if she had dropped the title, even though the office didn't sanction it and was still able to wrestle and had just made a mistake or changed the finish on her own, gone into business for herself, whatever, there'd be heat. But when she realized that that was going to be her last time in the ring for probably several months or whatever the recovery period is, and figured, well, better they have somebody than nobody, I don't think the office would be mad. Maybe they didn't have that, those plans for Willow, but it may have gotten Willow over to where she's in a stronger spot now to where you know they can figure her in that mix.
1: Yeah, she's in a stronger spot to negotiate. Yeah. I'm your champion. Give me a contract. Well,
2: See, I'm I'm pretty sure Sasha or Mercedes or she probably wasn't thinking about her contractual status as much as helping out another one of the girls, and you know doing something for the company to not leave them, you know, championless on the women's division. But I'm trying to think. I, I mean, we've told stories about guys switching finishes. Murdoch did that a number of times in his career, where he would. He'd be working with a fucking green guy, and he'd take him down and hold him in a cover so that he would beat Murdoch, and then he'd get up and cuss him. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Um, The office knew that Tully and Arn were going to drop
1: the belts to you guys, right?
2: Yes. No, they made that plane as soon as they came in the fucking door. But it was that day?
1: Yes. Okay, it wasn't like you went to the ring and they said, we're dropping the
2: belts to you. No, it was about 7.30, bell time at 8 o'clock. I'm trying to think, and there have been double crosses, and there have been stories where guys have been injured, and sometimes you can't do anything else. Other times, as with Steve Austin and Owen Hart, Owen, you know, staggered around and figured out a way to fall over, uh, fall over Austin and get pinned anyway, because that was honestly Austin didn't know how bad he was hurt, and Owen didn't know how bad he was hurt. At that point. Owen probably thought Austin had got his bell rung. Austin knew that he couldn't move, but then feeling was starting to come back. There was nothing, even though it was a worse injury than a broken ankle, you know, he was able to function again after that. So I'm trying to think of another example of, didn't Ernie Ladd do that with, with, um, god damn it. it wasn't was it chavo guerrero or was it ruben juarez i'm not sure what the, the story was ernie with one or the other it was in los angeles uh mid to late 70s and ernie was the big star and came in but uh, los angeles at that point heavily hispanic audience And like I said, it was either Chavo Sr. or that Ruben Juarez, which they used for a while. But Ernie was supposed to win, and he got in the ring and saw the way that the people were reacting. And said, fuck it, and changed the finish and put him over flat in the middle. And because it was a foot in height difference and 120 pounds in weight. And then Ernie went back and, and told him, said, you're fucking crazy if we don't continue this. This is a program. The kid's over. And they drew some money with it. That was just an example of business mind thinking rather than an injury causing a, a change. And, and fuck, who's going to yell at Ernie Ladd?
1: But what do you do if it's a tournament final and the winner's going to be the first champion and everything, let's say, is being built around one person winning the belt and they do get hurt and it becomes apparent that there's going to be an issue? Remember, you know, now I can't remember the details. When Finn Balor, they just brought it up on Raw, when he won the Universal title, the first time did he get injured in that match yeah and then he turned around and gave it right back yeah so what do you do i mean again it's not a situation you've encountered too often because it doesn't happen but what should the wrestler do (sighs) there's no rule of thumb i think it depends
2: a lot of it on the situation who the opponent is you know what the fucking you know what the future is supposed to look like and somebody on the fly figuring out how bad am I hurt. So there's really no way to tell from one instance to the next of what should be done. But it's, (laughs) one way or another, it's a fucking miserable position to be in.
1: Jim, our next question sent to cornydrivethru at gmail.com is from Donnie in Allentown, Pennsylvania. I always wondered... Why professional wrestlers didn't get nightly physicals every night before they would work their match? End, That's question. <laughs> End question. Okay.
2: Well, actually, in some uh, various locations, depending on whether there's an athletic commission or not, uh, you do get a physical. And you ought to see some of these physicals. I've literally seen doctors so old that you'd have to Fucking hold their own stethoscope to their own chest to see if they're breathing. They would. They'd take your blood pressure. They'd put the stethoscope and listen to your heart, make sure it was beaten, and they'd look in your eyes and check a couple things on a form. And that was the physical from the athletic commission, because that's what that they'd send some old doctor that had been there since the, you know, the days of Marigold Arena or whatever, and it would just be a routine thing. Where they check off literally blood pressure, pulse, look at your eyes, and well, do you feel all right? And that was about it. And every once in a while, like New York State, to get a license, they required a full examination by a real doctor and an EKG and all and fingerprinting and all this other stuff for a while. I don't know if it's the same way now. But think about this. In the in the territory days if you got a full physical examination before every match, you'd be getting one literally seven or eight times a week. And that was just ludicrous. And of course, it was equally ridiculous that you got no physical exam ever of any real kind except those routine ones by the commission doctor in the locker room when there was a commission. And now... The WWE guys go through such wellness checking and testing and health and etc. I would imagine that there's probably no better looked at athletes in the world. And just the guys on the Indies, they could have crotch rot or the creeping crud, or you know, a bad heart or a misplaced fucking spleen, and they never know until something happens because they did never go to the doctor even when they get hurt. Did I answer that question? I think so. I think it so. Ju- again, it depends on where you are. It's all context. Did I ever tell you about the time we got the Louisiana license? I don't know. <laughs> we go to Mid-South and the Louisiana license application, you have to have a physical filled out by a doctor. And we didn't want to spend that money. And we were too busy to go to the fucking doctor. So I called my cousin's wife. She's a nurse. And I asked for the normal answers to some of these questions. And I just filled the name in of a doctor that I found in the Alexandria, Louisiana phone book. And about four, five, six weeks later, I'm driving down the road. I see that same guy's name on a billboard. He's running for county coroner. See, if something happened to me, at least we knew where to go to be laid out and have words spoken over us.
1: Jim, I don't even know where to begin. We've received a lot of questions about Ryback. I don't know what exactly he's up to, because it seems like every one of these emails or tweets is about a different topic. Here's one sent on Twitter using the hashtag corny drive-thru from Ben Platt. Thoughts on Ryback being an absolute dickhead again <laughs> and getting out, getting out in his place. Yeah, that's what it says. And getting out in his place by the legendary Hall of Famer Booker T. I I bet that should have been a P put in his place. And then I have a tweet here from Booker T. The invitation is rescinded for Ryback. Making demands for you to come to my show says a whole lot. You don't really want to have a conversation. So apparently there was an offer for Ryback to come to Booker T's show, and Booker T rescinded it. Because
2: Ryback made... What were these demands? Were the brown M&Ms? Did he want a a
1: limousine? What what were the demands? I don't know. I have another one here that was just sent in. Ryback, I guess on Instagram, put out an image of him and Goldberg. Says, feed me Goldberg. (laughs) Despite WWE illegally restricting my social media the last seven years. What? You, in caps, great fans, kept me alive. We have a lot of work to do, but my story is just beginning. The truth always wins, and my hunger will never be fulfilled. (laughs) Eddie Tag Goldberg.
2: (laughs) You know, uh, Goldberg versus Ryback may be attractive, but I think he's got it backwards as far as who's getting fed to who. Goldberg is a star. Ryback is an ex-WWE wrestler. There's a difference. <laughs> has he wrestled
1: anywhere for anybody since he left that company? If he has, it's nothing I've heard of or remember hearing about. And he's, like he said, he left seven years ago. So then if he hasn't moved on, why does he continue to tweet
2: these polls about, should I unretire? Or should I wrestle this guy, or should somebody feed me Goldberg? It, it. I know some guys get gimmicks that they're crazy, like the the Sheik, the Iron Sheik, you know, the Twitter account, and or whatever is going on with Marty Jannetty. I, I guess that's not really a gimmick, but is he trying to convince the fans that he's nuts right back, or is he really nuts? Does he think that he was a big... And still is, more importantly, a big wrestling star. Or what What does he think?
1: Well, I have another uh, tweet here. Apparently, one of the wrestling news sites, NoDQ.com, tweeted out something. Ryback says a match against Bill Goldberg at AEW All-In would exceed all expectations. And as a image, a photoshopped image of Ryback and Goldberg in the ring, <laughs> Ryback responded, Wrestling site with a quarter of the following gets way more impressions than anything I can post on it. This further shows how WWE has illegally had my social media suppressed as they pushed out years of fake hate through fake articles and drowned my voice and content. Oh my God. You're welcome for the views, as usual. And he tagged Elon Musk in here. This (laughs) isn't going away. And more people are going to see how corrupt this place was and still is. So apparently, he's not just going to expose WWE, but Twitter better be on the lookout. So
2: he is really crazy, rather than this a gimmick, because he's just calling attention to the fact that nobody gives a fuck about him anymore on his social media, right? And he's claiming that <laughs> the WWE is. Going to uh, at least time and effort, if not expense, to keep people from following Ryback on Twitter?
1: Well, I have another, well, this is a rather long, how the fuck did he, he must pay, I guess if you pay for Twitter Blue, I didn't realize they let you just tweet out as many characters as you want. (laughs) But here's something from May 21st. I've taken care of my mother for the last eight years. And my father is 74. And while active, is aging and slowing down. It is up to me to help take care of them. I need my social media working and my full reach. What? Elon Musk, I need my Twitter fixed. I can't advertise and have very little reach. This has been done to me on all social media platforms now. I'm asking for someone to help. What is going on is not right, and I have not violated any rules. The truth is going to win. But it's been seven years and I need this fixed and made right. What a. I'm fuck? scheduling a trip to San Francisco and will not leave until I get to speak with someone if this doesn't get fixed. Everything I do revolves around being able to be seen through organic traffic and advertising. I've had hundreds of cases closed everywhere with no answers other than. What, machine- what is he babbling about? You know who we should hook him up with him and Raka Khan there you go she could represent him <laughs> so what he's saying is and that's not even close to done but go
2: ahead he's got it well I'll let you but he's got to take care of his mom and dad which is very admirable on Twitter reach out and get yourself a fucking job if you need to take care of your mom and dad and
1: and don't worry about tweeting well, it seems like he's indicating that the job incorporates Twitter, that Twitter in restricting the he's audience for his to content. He could
2: be a wrestling personality, but he's not wrestling and he doesn't have any personality. He needs to change a line of work to where the people won't fuck with him on Twitter and he can make some money to take care of his ailing parents.
1: You know, his catchphrase used to be, feed me more. Now it's just, feed me. But let me go back to this here. Instagram tells people I spread misinformation despite never spreading misinformation and they cannot tell me why they leave that on my account. I cannot list my merch on Instagram and Meta despite it being allowed by other creators. My hashtags are hidden. Most of the time. (laughs) This is so ridiculous. And no matter what I put out there, it's severely suppressed. I proved for years I know how to go viral and be seen, and one by one each platform has stifled this. TikTok hasn't paid me since October of last year! Damn them! And won't say why, along with suppressing my content from 75 to 100 million monthly views to 1 to 2 million. 75 to 100 million monthly views? Whoa!
2: No! We know a little bit about (laughs) millions of monthly
1: views, and, uh... Of all the numbers to pull out of your ass, 75 to 100 million monthly views! Oh! He'd be running Disney! But they reduced that to 1 to 2 million. YouTube has dropped my RPM to 1! which is unheard of, and they won't explain why. If this could happen to me...
2: Wait a minute, he's only going around once per minute? I guess so. If this could happen to me... You know, that joke fell flat to everybody who's never played a fucking record.
1: Should have thought. Well, for the people over 50, they they just, they're howling. If this could happen to me, then rest assured this technology is being abused in many other ways. This is a straight play out of Vince McMahon's love of 48 Laws of Power, (laughs) and is going to be his ultimate demise. They have pushed out countless lies to turn the inner fan base against me, that this is deserved by me, but I assure you no human should ever experience what I have had to these last seven years. I've won everything, and will win this too, by speaking the truth. This is a tweet? Hashtag hungry. Hashtag free ryeback. So. <laughs> free
2: <Ryback>. the, <laughs> He is. <laughs> all right, now you got me going. He is explaining or trying to explain or trying to make people believe or believe himself that the reason why he doesn't have 100 million views a month on TikTok and all this other stuff is not because nobody gives a shit, and he's not that big of a deal, but that Vince McMahon is spending his time, money, and effort to engage in this wide-ranging plot over multiple platforms to suppress what Ryback is putting out there because otherwise, if it was seen by anybody, it would instantly take off and be the most popular. What is he putting out there if he doesn't yeah, wrestle? I don't know. If he doesn't wrestle, I, I, saw he, I think he's selling some supplements, probably taking enough of them. But he I, I saw him selling some kind of energy mix or apparatus here a while back on the internet. What else is he doing to take care of his ailing parents that he needs... Twitter and TikTok to advertise. What is he advertising? What are you paying? What are you supposed to pay? Ryback back to do what service does he perform? What good does he furnish when he advertises all these things that he's being blocked on? I
1: don't know. <laughs> Cuz he's, he's no being idea. blocked. And by the way, what do you think Goldberg
2: thinks about all this? Goldberg thinks, yeah, I could spear him for $3 million, easy as I can spear anybody else.
1: Well, we'll see how the uh, trials and tribulations of Ryback right continue here. Again, I'm not exactly sure. Everyone keeps sending us this stuff, but no one says what.
2: Somebody what it's all about. Tell, us, tell us what he's advertising and tell us what he is, is uh, uh, soliciting funds for in return for providing you that said funds would go to the care of his elderly parents. And i like like—we'd like to see what kind of business he's in now, since he's not in wrestling. And there's apparently no great groundswell or clamor for him to return to wrestling. Must be tough to apply for a job if your name's Ryback. That's another thing. Did we call him? <laughs> do we call him Mister Ryback, or
1: is it Mister Back, or just Ry for short? Well, Jim, let's get another question here. This one sent the corny drive-through at Gmail.com. You know, that's what he was saying. Just call me
2: right back. Call me right back.
1: Well, this question was sent to through at gmail.com from Jaren in Denver, Colorado. Jim has made several disparaging comments in recent weeks about wrestlers having pale skin. (laughs) I understand how for bodybuilding a tan is important because of how tan skin highlights show muscles better. But is there a reason, other than aesthetics, that this is so important for wrestlers? By that I mean, is there a technical reason having to do with the presentation or the color quality on television? Or is it just a preference based on how it looks? Especially given how many bigger names of the pre-80s were big guys, but not necessarily ripped or highly defined in the way wrestlers are now. This has made me curious if there's any specific history about wrestlers being tanned other than the connection to bodybuilding.
2: Oh, good lord. That question could have been shorter. It's all aesthetics. There is no other reason besides aesthetics, it's all aesthetics. And it can be explained very simply in the words of Arne Anderson. When everybody would say anything about Arne's tan, he'd say fat looks better brown than white. And that's the thing. Is and yes, you know, in his in his older days, the crusher was pale too right? Because he lived in fucking Milwaukee in the wintertime, but in the summertime he and Bruiser, they look good. It's not a new thing. Buddy Rogers with the tan in the fucking 50s when they had sun lamps and shit, if you didn't live in Florida or whatever. It just, you look more athletic. It is more palatable on television, especially if you don't have a body. If you've got a great jacked up muscular body and you don't have much tan. That looks a whole lot better than if you're a fat fuck with man boobs and you're pale as a goddamn ghost. So, again, it's just it's one of those things that, you know, the 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 guys always used to say you can control that. You can't make yourself grow six inches, or if you don't have the you know genetics for it, you can't look like Lex Luger. But you can have good-looking gear. You can fucking at least try to put a little weight on upper body, whatever, and you can tan and look a little better instead of just being, as Arn used to say, pale and fishy white as well as flabby.
1: Do you care if it's a real tan or a spray-on tan? Well,
2: if you if you can tell the difference, you didn't get a good spray-on tan. I mean, the the orange people, and/or that the that Drake Wirtz, that fucking right-wing crackpot that used to referee for NXT. He looked like he was wearing blackface. And then we found out his political background, and he probably was. But when it's ridiculous or it's orange or nobody remembers to spray your armpits, then that that doesn't do you any favors. But if it looks like you—I mean, again, Bobby Eaton didn't have a great body. But, and for a while we were so busy and we never got out in the sun and in wintertime didn't have time to tan, he was fishy white too. But Stan being the beach boy and or a, a tanning fanatic, Bobby had to get a tan every once in a while, keep up with Stan, and it just, it looked better. You look like you just walked in off the beach. Hey, pal, it's a nature boy. Did you ever see a pale Ric Flair, even in the dead of winter? Not in the 80s. 98. No, not, well, everybody, as they get older, you slack off on these things, but I'm talking about in the prime of, in the prime of life and on
1: top, you know, that's why when did tanning beds really get around? I mean, by the late eighties, they were everywhere, but, but in yeah. the early eighties were tanning beds. I mean, was there a place in
2: Louisville? Um, oh God, I'd never heard of a tanning bed before. I think I moved to Charlotte. Uh, and that's, you know, when things got hot. But here's the thing. Again, the boys, you would see guys in the 70s outside in the parking lot behind the fucking building, especially high school gym at a spot show, <laughs> just laid out with a, their tights on and a fucking washcloth over their face. Any chance they got, because you had to, you know, you had to do this shit in fits and spurts. But that wasn't an unusual thing, especially for either a heel-like flair that it fit, or the babyfaces didn't want to look, you know, shabby. So it, it, it's a th-
1: it's a- aesthetics, is what it is. And do you think it's more important now than ever before? I noticed on Raw, Cody was as tan as I've ever seen him. At the same time, we've talked about Adam Cole in the last year or so not being tan. Went the other way. Is it more important now than ever before? <laughs> yes, because... Everybody, well, I won't say
2: everybody on television. Everybody in the WWE except the people whose gimmicks it is to just completely look like shit. Otis, whatever. But everybody looks like an athlete now. Everybody looks like they're in the best shape of their life. In the Territory days, you could get by if you were a big, raw-boned Dick Murdoch-looking fuck. Murdoch was not only one of the best workers in the business, one of the biggest stars. And physically looked like shit. But for real, he could knock the fuck out of you, knock you out with one punch, and he could outperform all the bodybuilders and all the real athletes in the ring. So he got by with it on personality. But now, you know, 100% of the people, as I said, in the WWE and more, more than, well, would you say more than half? Maybe not. I don't know. More than half of the guys in AEW look like they're in shape, even if they're still minute in size. But it's more important overall, the people's expectations in their mind these days is for wrestlers to look like athletes. In the old days, their expectations were for wrestlers to just come off like badasses. It was two different things.
1: Jim, our next question comes from the Cult of Cornet Facebook group sent in by Nick Leonetti. When did fans start bringing signs to wrestling shows? Well, I like his brevity. Um, my God. Um,
2: I mean, at at some point, I'm sure, you know, somebody brought a sign for fucking Go Jim Londos, right? Or Strangler Lewis, he's my man. But when you think about it, I think probably the TV era, there was times when like uh, you you see pictures in the old magazines of the fan club would get together like the John Paul Henning fan club. And he was such a matinee idol looking guy. There'd be, you know, eight or 10 women and they'd have signs, you know, go John, go or whatever. And I remember when I first started going to the matches, people didn't bring signs, but they had pennants that they would sell for the top baby faces, whether it'd be Jerry Jarrett or Jackie Fargo and you could wave it and be like go jerry go but i'm thinking on any kind of widespread basis it started with the 80s again either with the rock and wrestling connection in the in the wwf in the northeast or just honestly with the rock and roll express invasion and the the memphis kind of influence that the mtv tag teams had on young people because they had a clip the other day of one of the i guess it was 1980 81 82 wwf crowds at a tv taping and it was grandmothers and women sitting there with their purse and women old enough to be wearing hats and You know, a bunch of old drunken guys and some kids running around of the crumb-snatching age. It was the same as all wrestling fans were, all ages, all sexes. And within four or five years, it was all the young people. That was the rock and wrestling thing up there. And honestly, the Fabs brought the young girls to Memphis. The Rock and Roll Express brought them to Louisiana and North Carolina. The Fantastics brought them, and the Von Ericks brought them to Dallas. And, you know, by the mid-80s, half the crowd was girls under 25. So I think that's when signs became, and then the guys followed the girls, and signs became more of a thing. And then, you know, I mean, we had them in the NWA, the guys in Greensboro front row section D. John Hitchcock. John Hitchcock. And and they would, uh, you would see signs in, obviously, for, cindy or windy or you know hulk or whatever in the wwf and then by the time the attitude era came up and it became a thing to show your sign on tv well then once people saw that on television it fed on itself oh that's the thing we do when we go to wrestling we take a sign and that held up as long as the talent was sign worthy austin rock taker foley on and on and on and then when when all that was when the hot shotting was over and Austin's neck was bad and Rock had gone to Hollywood and they made everything PG and there's no girls flashing their tits in the in the arena anymore then people kind of cooled off on the signs
1: in the northeast they really started popping up on uh, the arena shows you would see in the early 80s and In a lot of the cases, you know, different than a Southern crowd, especially a female crowd or a Texas crowd, specifically with the females, it was a mechanism at times to let other people know that someone liked to heal. Yes. There were a lot of signs for, not a lot of signs, again, there weren't a lot of signs in general, but like in 85, there were signs for Piper. I mean, there were lots of signs for Hogan, but Hogan was a pop cultural phenomenon. It was young, young guys would have signs for the
2: cool heels, Piper up there, Flair down south, and the women would have signs for the, you know, their male idols.
1: That's right. So that's where it all came from. Well, Jim, our next question, sent to Through at gmail.com, is from Aaron in Colts Neck, New Jersey. My question is for Jim about Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Who is Margie? (laughs) I was watching Smoky Mountain TV from November 93 recently and saw a Tammy's Tips segment. Tammy was teaching Margie, an unattractive heavyset woman, how to wash her face as part of her gimmick. This was the third week in a row. Boy, this guy's brutal. The ugly Margie was treated rudely by Tammy in such a way on Smoky Mountain Wrestling TV. Who is Margie? <laughs> How did you get her to do these segments? Was it awkward at all? No, not for me. <laughs> um,
2: it might have been a little awkward when Margie had to explain to her friends back home. Um, no, what obviously, first of all, the Tammy's Tips segments were an homage to Andy Kaufman. You know, this is soap, and you put water on it, and you rub it under You know the the stuff he did in Memphis with Lawler, teaching the people how to brush their teeth and wash with soap and everything. So Tammy is this obnoxious, you know, bitchy girl from New Jersey, from the Northeast. She's a damn Yankee, and she's a college graduate. And she's got a highfalutin nose stuck up in the air, and she's too good for the likes of us down here in Tennessee. That's the point we were trying to get across. And so she was going to give the tips on hygiene and cooking and, you know, makeup or whatever the case, right? And Margie was a fan that lived outside of Morristown, Tennessee. And she was, and I... (laughs) My God, how long has this been ago? It's been 30 years ago. She was, she's probably about my age, thereabouts. She may still be with us. I don't know. Hopefully she got her cholesterol under control. But she was not an attractive young lady. She was very heavy set, bordering on massive, and she had the best East Tennessee hillbilly accent. And she was a fan that went to the matches and we got her to come over to Tommy Noe's house where we shot these things in his backyard or at his dining room table. Or if she was exercising, we were in his backyard. If she was trying to teach Margie how to cook or the fine points of eating with manners, we were at his dining room table.
1: Who told her to roll down the hill? Where was that? That was, well, (laughs) that was
2: Tommy's backyard. And after they did the exercising, Tammy's supposed to give her a little push and she's going to take a few rolls and, you know, that she's kicked this poor girl down the hill and she just kept rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling and it was the funniest fucking thing I would ever seen. It was a big hill. But anyway, and as a matter of fact, we used a lot of real facts in these segments because one of them, one of the first ones we did, I was going to have Tammy say to Margie, say, what do you do for a living? And I said, Margie, what do you do? She said, I weigh garbage. I said, what? <laughs> she worked for the county at a landfill, and her job was when they brought the garbage in, she weighed the garbage. I said, that's perfect. Say that. Tell <laughs> What do you do for a living? I weigh garbage. And Tammy just does the eye roll. So, one time she was supposed to come in have it, so Tammy could teach her, you know, how to eat like a lady. She told her to go get some chicken Kiev and bring it. Well, t- Margie comes in with a fucking plastic bag and she said, I couldn't find any of that Kevin's chicken, but I got some Popeye's. <laughs> And anyway, the juxtaposition, because all we did, we just had Margie be herself, basically, and we had Tammy be herself, and you've got a fat redneck girl from East Tennessee that weighs garbage for a living, and a hot New Jersey Yankee that, uh, well, everybody knows what her personality was like, so it was that was fun. But that's that's where Margie came from. Did you ever see her after those segments ended? Um, she came to the matches. She still kept yeah, I, coming? Well, yes. And buying a ticket. We didn't, we
1: didn't comp her. We didn't pay her either. For the- <laughs> she took a free bump down the hill for us. Well, Jim, our next question from the Cult of Cornette Facebook group was sent in by Chris Younger. Will Solo Sokoa be the one to take Roman Reigns' title, or does it have to be Cody Rhodes?
2: Well, it doesn't have to be Cody Rhodes. It's not going to be Solo, and that's not an insult to Solo or shortchanging him, but he just popped up. He may have been wrestling, you know, some independence or training or a while, but he's yeah, he's the younger brother of the Usos, right? And he's just been involved and they've given him a massive push for a guy with that experience level, but he's not gonna in the next year or whatever it may be. Moved into the position where he's the one that beats Roman Reigns. That he's not the way that they've portrayed him as the enforcer, that's great. And I'm sure he will morph and change over his career. But right now or in the immediate future, I don't see his presentation changing from this guy who doesn't talk very much and spikes people on command to the face of the company. Do you, Brian, am I
1: relating that? in English. <laughs> I don't know any other way to say it. You know, I don't know if it would be solo. I don't think it would be. Cody still seems like the likely option. The only thing is with this whole bloodline angle, or a series of angles, you would think, you would hope that at the end of it, someone will be elevated. I don't know who that would be right now. I mean, the Usos have been there a long time, and obviously Jay Uso being the tribal chief is now playing into the actual angle. But coming but, out of this... But Jimmy's the better promo. Like, really, you think Jimmy's a better promo than Jay? It, well, now am I me- am I messing
2: him up again? <laughs> Who did the really fired up promo a week or two ago? I'm not sure. Uh, well, see, there you go. There's the problem. If you elevate one USO, then you've got an extra USO. And if uh, someone, yes, does need to be elevated, Solo has been elevated out of nowhere and will continue to be but i don't think that means that somebody needs to be elevated to be beating roman and be, i don't think there'll be another tribal chief because nobody fits the bill right now not there's not any other person in that group that could be the boss of that group do you think they have the ending I'm sure they think they do, but they probably, to be honest, and I've been through this and everybody else has too, involved in booking, creative, whatever they want to call it. They may have had an ending, but they probably extended that ending and changed that ending a couple of times after it got hot and they wanted to keep it going and they wanted to prolong it. And they've been saying, plus Heyman's involved, and he always likes to know where he's going, even if he keeps other people guessing. So I'm pretty sure they always have an ending they've agreed on that is firm and would be suitable, but it's it's elastic in terms of they can change things, how far it is to or how long it is till they get there or exactly the path they take. But I'm pretty sure they got something, or it, it wouldn't have been as good as this. You can tell Tony has started 18 things, and didn't have any fucking idea who, who the murderer was. It was like playing a game of Clue. Well, we'll figure it out when we get there. Tony could have booked the Black Scorpion angle. We'll figure it out when when the time comes. That's not the way to do things. They're not doing that with the bloodline.
1: Jim, I have some audio here that a bunch of listeners sent us in a couple of weeks ago, but we never got a chance to play it, and I wanted to get your thoughts Ricky Starks had some comments about the concept of the four pillars in AEW. This is from the Corner Podcast. Let's go to this. There's, there's four pillars that were deemed two and a half years ago.
5: Right. And they are running a program now right. on four pillars from two and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. Pi- those pillars have changed, sir. He had mentioned your name and bypassing people who were then pillars yeah. when you were just signed in a pandemic. To where you guys are now and the fact that you should be mentioned as a pillar. Well, of I, this company Can I speak on that? I actually hate the idea of pillars. Mm-hmm. It's, it's weird. <laughs> I I but I to. loathe the idea of a pillar because one, it's a full gimmick and it came from one guy yep. who there there's no there's nothing behind it. You get what I'm saying? To say that these four dudes are the pillar of the company. You know what you're doing by saying that? F everybody else yep. who did anything. Those people don't matter. It's these three guys that we deemed. I have bestowed this sacred title upon thee and I want you to go forth and do with it. No, I don't believe in that. It's a very <laughs> sweet gesture to say Ricky should be considered a fifth pillar. Baby, I don't need to be a pillar, okay? I can be a foundation. I can be the roof. I can be the person outside maintaining the lawn. I don't need none of that. Because to me, that's a box within itself. Four pillars, you got me. What? Four pillars? Four pillars are what? Name one coliseum that you know that's famous. I bet you couldn't even do that. So to say that these four guys are the ones that are going to make and break... Let's see the numbers. Y'all want to talk about ratings? Let's see the ratings for y'all four, huh? Let's see how much <laughs> money y'all making. If y'all want to keep bringing up all this bullshit, let's see it. Pin to paper. How are the quarterly hours doing when y'all are on TV? Let's see it. I want to see it. The four pillars, hell yeah. <laughs> My paycheck is signed by those four dudes. Hell yeah. Let me see. You get what I'm saying? Yep. I don't even like the conversation. I don't even want to be included. Keep me away from that.
1: Shit. Well, let me stop it there. (laughs) Jim, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on what he's saying? And what are your thoughts on talent saying things like this in general, whether it's Ricky Starks or someone else on a public forum like this? Well, he beat around some bush. He made a couple points there. It took a while,
2: but the... (laughs) The thing is, the pillars thing, and you're the Japanese wrestling expert of modern times. I might be able to hang with you on, you know, Baba and Anoki's day. But the four pillars, when they named them the four pen who were the four pillars? Uh, Kabashi, Masawa,
1: Kawada, and Taui.
2: Did they name them the four pillars when they just broke in and the company just started and they were having their first matches, or did they name them the four pillars because they were already the four established stars that were carrying
1: the company? They were the four wrestlers holding up, not holding up that company, but the five-star tag team matches, the singles matches, any combination of those guys, those were the four guys in all Japan. And they had already done these things. They were already having these great
2: matches, and they were already drawing these big houses, and they were already making that news, right?
1: Yeah, Yeah. Kawada was in the real-world final, uh, the tag tournament finals in 88, so he was already doing stuff, and Masawa was already the second Tiger Mask. So, yeah, these guys were already doing different things before that point. Okay, and they were established, and they were
2: actually demonstrably, observably, empirically having great matches and drawing money. So that's the concept. They're the four pillars of because they're the four big stars in the company. What they've done with AEW is because Tony and the rest of the marks that, you know, are on the roster that fantasize and, you know, have this, this whole fucking, you know, delusion built that they're all great Japanese wrestlers like we used to watch videotapes and we take all of our, you know, ideas and our concepts from them or whatever. So he decided when they opened the company that he would have four pillars. But it wouldn't be the four pillars, wouldn't be the actual top four guys that were having the great matches where the main event stars were demonstrably drawing all the money. It would be the homegrown guys that people had advised him, oh, these guys are going to be great. They're going to be your future. Oh, well, then we'll make them the four pillars. Jungle Boy, MJF, fucking uh, Darby, and Gizmo, Satchmo, Satchmo Guerrero, Guevara, whatever his fucking name is. And overlooking the fact that now, you're the, the reason why the other four pillars were the four pillars because they were already the stars. They were already doing this. They were demonstrably the four people carrying the company, not the four people that you fantasize wanting to be your top stars in three or four years. If it worked out that way, that'd be fine. But only one of them did. MJF's your top star, co top star now that Punk is back. And the other guys have varying levels of popularity or unpopularity, but nobody can say that they're the biggest stars in the company, having the greatest matches, and drawing the most money or the biggest ratings. Especially in the case of
1: Jungle Jack. And Starks here was specifically saying those three guys, so I'm assuming the one person he's not including in the critique of who the four pillars are is MJF.
2: Because that would invalidate his criticism. MJF grew into the spot and into the role, so they had a 25% success rate. But Starks, if he had had the the effort put into him that Darby did by being given an icon as a mentor and by, you know, being fucking pushed to the moon, or Sammy, at least he's been on television, even though he was a a Jericho flunky for... Quite some time, and the other guys had all kinds of chances. He just—they didn't know four years ago that he didn't have any personality and he was never going to get one. But so that's the point that Starks is making. Hey, it's not what what you were saying that you wanted to come true. It's what's happening now, and he can hang or exceed any of the other three pillars except for MJF, and I believe that's a fair assessment.
1: Jim, our next question, sent to cornydrivethrough at gmail.com, is from Tyrell. What do you think of Alex Shelley finally becoming the Impact World Champion? What is your opinion of Alex Shelley and the Motor City machine guns in general? (laughs) I'll give Alex a little pop, because I didn't
2: know that he had finally become the Impact Champion. Um... Alex Shelley and Chris Sabin, I liked them, except for the odd habit they had in the locker room of calling each other by their real names in finish meetings. And there'd be five or six guys standing around, and they'd be referring to people that weren't even in the fucking group, and I wouldn't know who the fuck they were talking about. But otherwise, no, they were a good team, uh, Sabin and Shelley. It's, when I knew them, they were the Motor City Machine Guns together in TNA. And I've worked with them on uh, a few independent shows uh, in that era as well. They were a good tag team. They were young and used a modern style, but they didn't fucking go ridiculous with the gymnastics and didn't, you know, constant flipping. It wasn't aggressive parkour. They liked, you know, uh, being tipped to new tag team double-team moves or shit, you know, I would say. The Midnight used to do this. Oh, boom. And they worked hard. They were limited at that point on their promos. But otherwise than that, you know, it, it just uh, they were a nice tag-team combination. I honestly have not seen jack all of shit that either one of them have done probably in the last 10 years. So it's unfair for me to comment otherwise than considering some of the other people that have been the impact champion i'm happy for alex shelley
1: it could it could be it could be much much worse jim our next question from the cult of cornet facebook group was sent by john and by
2: the way are people into that thing yet all the people that are waiting have they have they
1: gained access well there's a lot of people still waiting we're actually about to begin a renewed push to go through the applications to get them in there but a lot of people in and Many, many, many more trying to get in.
2: But we are trying to shepherd them into their seats as quickly
1: as possible. Or push them,
2: but one way or the other, yes. That's that's what Nick goulash used to do. They said he'd stand out on, on nights in the 60s or 50s. They sold out the Hippodrome in Nashville and big crowds coming in. They said he'd stand out and cuss the fans. Go
1: on! God damn it, keep going, move, Get. keep moving, <laughs> trying to get them in the door. Hey, what's the history of the actual word Hippodrome? Because that's not the only one I've heard of, the one in Nashville, and you don't hear about them anymore. What is it? Do you know? Um, Hippodrome, and I think
2: this goes back to the Greek or Roman days, but it was a giant place where athletic contests or entertainment would take place. Hippodroming, in the early days of professional wrestling, back in the late maybe the late 1890s or early 1900s if you were hippodroming if the newspaper said that about a match then that was a a wink that they were performing for the audience it was like you know they were uh, hippodroming is putting on a show uh and the Nashville hippodrome was where they had the wrestling matches for years i guess from the 40s there it was a giant roller rink and they also had wrestling and concerts and whatever and it would seat somewhere around 4000 people i think we've been able to determine and that was the that was the location downtown for big events in the days in Nashville before they had any other arenas but there were hippodromes in various cities in the world even back you if yeah. you if you read uh, biographies of pt barnum you know, and, and the Barnum Show played the Hippodrome in Paris, France, or whatever.
1: Was that the question? That was my question. Maybe one ah. day the uh, hippos will come back in the fashion, but Jim, let's get and this question here. And they'll start
2: droming again.
1: This was sent to... Oh,
2: give me a home where the hippos all drone,
1: and the hippo shit <laughs> runs down the hill. Well, Jim, this next question was sent via the Cult of Cornet Facebook group. By John, M- just thinking
2: about hippo shit. Will you be now. quiet?
1: You'll be hippo shit all over the hippodrome. By John M. Ellison, what's the craziest rumor you've heard about yourself? Um,
2: that now I'm Lauren Bobert's fucking father. Now that Stan's <laughs> cleared, I
1: did see that someone said, "Look, she wears glasses. She has brown yeah.
2: hair, <laughs> glasses, brown hair." Well, Stan was bleached. I hate to give it, give you that information after all these years. Um. I mean, you know, again, people, everything from the the people who say, "Oh, well, he's a crummy booker," they'll say he he's the one who booked Glenn Jacobs as the Christmas creature. No, I wasn't even there. That was Memphis. Or, you know, remember when they tried to me too, me and Stacy and everybody else about three years ago to get to get rid of me there? Then they came up with everything in the goddamn world. It, I mean, it just depends. There's so many ridiculous stories from a personal or professional aspect. It just depends on who's trying to take the piss out of me, as they say, at that particular point.
1: Do you ever hear someone attribute something that they say that you said that you clearly didn't say? Yes, just like Mama Cornet and that chewing gum on her
2: boot heel or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it was a song, and, yeah. Well, and also, I mean, I've... Honestly, and and Stace has seen this, at FanFest, people have come up and started talking to me and reminded me, oh, yeah, we used to go to the matches and see you, so-and-so, and remember the time you came over to my sister's house, and we had dinner, or remember the time that you had me drive you to pick up some beer? Well, right there, I've never drunk a beer in my fucking life, right? And I didn't pick any up for the boys. Or some other story that they remember in minute detail. And they'll tell it and I'll be, yeah, 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 And then they'll walk off and Stacy'll said, who was that? I'll say, I have no fucking idea. I've never seen that person. That story m- makes no sense to me. I was usually not in a state of mind where I didn't remember shit when I was on the road, like a lot of the boys. But they remember these things, and and they would have me at their house eating something that Stace would instantly, she'd give me the look, like, you've never eaten that thing in your life, right? Or whatever it was that would be a tip-off, but they remember that memory vividly. And I guess it's not just me, it's whoever, I guess, in wrestling, but
1: rumors rumors and innuendos well let's stay on that topic we have breaking news give me one second i am pulling the news this up. has broken the news has Wait broken a hold on this is being reported by mike johnson PWInsider.com. the headline out of new york rock a con lawsuit against dozens of defendants including the rock Jim Cornette, The Bellas, and more dismissed. Oh! On Monday, June 12th, United States District Court Judge Laura Taylor Swain dismissed the lawsuit brought by former... Swain? T- Swain? 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 She's a Swain! Brought by former TNA and WWE developmental star, Trenisha RockaCon Biggers back in October 2022 in the Southern District of New York, claiming a conspiracy against her in retaliation to an ongoing Texas criminal case, listing, among others, as defendants, the state of Texas, the El Paso Child Protective Services, the FBI, the Las Cruces New Mexico Police Department, the NYPD, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, New York ACS Omega Psi Phi Fraternity, Shirley Police Department, Sigma Phi Epsilon, <laughs> Suffolk <laughs> County, New York. The Rock, WWE personalities The Miz and Maurice, current Impact Wrestling star Heath Miller, WWE Hall of Famer Nikki Bella, the late Chris Benoit, former WWE talent Mark Jindrak. The now-defunct Panda Energy. Home Depot. The now-defunct Florida Championship Wrestling. Steve Kern. The National Wrestling Alliance. NWA President Billy Corgan. The now-defunct Deep South Wrestling. Bank of America. Basketball star Michael Jordan. Several universities. Jim Cornette. Mick Foley. New York City... (laughs) New York City Area Energy Company, Con Edison, and countless others. The lawsuit alleged that the defendants all conspired to kidnap plaintiff and her children. See here's what I'm upset about because I've never even been
2: served. I wanted a copy to find out who the rest of all the defendants were instead of just
1: many others. Here is a dismissal here are the dismissal words from the judge, the plaintiff who is appearing pro se, brings this federal action against approximately 1,000 individuals and entities from various states. (laughs) Regarding her claims that arose in New York State, she alleges that, in 2019, individuals removed her children when she was arrested. By court order dated February 27, 2023, the court granted Bigger's request to proceed without prepayment of fees for the following reasons, the court dismisses the complaint for failure to comply with Rule 8 of the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure, with 30 days' leave to plead claims that arose in a county within the Southern District of New York. The court also dismisses claims that arose outside of the district for improper venue. Uh, The court must dismiss the complaint uh, the a portion thereof. Do, that, they, do they dismiss anything on the on the grounds of batshit? Uh, no. It uh, releases them, citing Livingston versus Adirondack Beverage, as well as Harris a, versus there, wait Miller. A minute,
2: there's a there's an actual case precedent that you can cite for anything involving this fucking crazy lunatic woman.
1: Apparently, and it goes on for a while.
2: Now that I see how much is here, I'm not reading all this. <laughs> I don't get to be cross-examined by Raka Khan! Because I told everybody at my own expense, if, if she could get me on a stand and I could shoot it for our YouTube channel, that I would
1: go there at my own expense. And spill my guts! Apparently she posted videos to YouTube, claiming her indictment was fake, but made the videos private, so we can't play those. She was once El Paso's most wanted fugitive, or one of them. Imagine
2: how much territory that takes in.
1: That's right. The Pritchards
2: are from there, aren't they? Well, originally, but they moved to Houston. All right. Well, what are your thoughts on now being a free man? Well, I I tell you, folks, I'm, I'm really relieved. I want to thank everyone who stuck with me. I knew that... Not only the glove not fitting would get me acquitted, but also the fine, fine, hard work of Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com eight 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 six nine two eight zero eight four. He's now branching into bankruptcy work, but uh, <laughs> I knew that he was gonna he was gonna get me off, and that's exactly what he did. He got me off. He gets me off every time. Stephen P. Noon, new newlawoffice.com, 888-692-8084. Even more entertaining stories involving our friend Stephen and his exploits at, at various uh, deserving
1: reprobates are coming very soon. They certainly are. But, Jim, let's get a few more questions and get the hell out of here. This one from the Cult of Cornet Facebook group sent in by Perry Cox. Best Secondary Championship in Crockett Promotions. U.S. title or world TV championship? The U.S. belt was thought as the number one contender, but the TV title was always considered to be the best worker. Jim was there. What's his opinion? Well, again, the the
2: fans may have thought the TV champion was the best worker. It wasn't necessarily that you know, the the person who held the TV title was determined by who the best worker was. Let's see, is, you know, is this guy better than that guy? We'll put the TV title on him. In a lot of cases, uh, the TV champion, by virtue of the fact that he was the TV champion, would uh, would be on TV wrestling a, a somewhat competitive match more often than, you know, the other guys. But you know, the whole reason for the TV title was to have... Something to feature on television to make back in the days before you had consistent main events or competitive matches on all the TVs, that was something to to sell for television. And then I always liked the way that they did it in the Carolinas and a few other territories. Um, I think it was a George Scott thing. So it was you know it was an older concept. But they would have the TV title on the line between two guys on television. And because TV time is more precious, the time limit was 15 minutes for a title match. One fall, 15-minute time limit, TV title. And a lot of times they'd go Broadway or whatever the fuck, and that way you'd keep the issue open. But what they'd do is they would take that issue to the arenas. And let's say Brian Last was the TV champion if he was wrestling Jim Cornette, the TV title would be on the line for the first 15 minutes. And then Jim Cornette in the arena would beat Brian Last in 18 minutes, but not get the TV title. But it would increase the interest in their program without anybody having to do aggressive parkour or being thrown through furniture. And so the U.S. title was more about Main eventing in the arenas when the world champion's not around, being the number one contender or considered close to it for the world title, it's a main event singles guy. The TV title was still a main event guy usually holding it, but it was something, you know, really only for for television and to... Potentially, you know, carry over into the arenas with grudges again, especially if it was Tully and he was wrestling Dusty. That's a main event match, even though it's for the TV title. So it makes everything more important.
1: Well, Jim, our next question, also from the Cult of Cornet Facebook group, was sent in by Shane Sampson. Do you think the Ronnie Garvin versus rick Flair cage match at Starcade is underrated compared to what are considered the best matches of all time? Personally, I thought it was great. See, they're either long or they're short
2: today. Uh, yes, I, I don't know that it's underrated because I haven't really talked to anybody specifically about that match in a while. So maybe people appreciate it and maybe they don't. But all of Flair and Garvin's matches were good. That's why Flair liked to work with him. Ronnie loved it because, you know, he's on top. He's in the main events. Flair loved working with Ronnie Garvin because he was such a good worker and so believable and they had, they loved the chop fight and we've talked about this Flair's knife hands didn't do as much damage to Ronnie's chest as Ronnie's overhands did to Flair's chest but they beat the shit out of each other cuz they were they didn't just work that match they in 86 and parts of 87 they had a long house show run so they were chopping each other every night to the point where Both of them were usually, their chest was bleeding when they came back from the ring, but Garvin's, for whatever reason, maybe if he taped one or two of his fingers or whatever, but he had beaten the top layer of skin off of Flair's chest to the point where every night before he'd go to the ring, Flair had to put an antibiotic cream on because his, what, third layer of epidermis was exposed, and, and it was prone to infection. They just it again they'd go 30 minutes every night. Ronnie was in incredible shape. They'd fucking hit each other people could hear it in the fucking balcony. Um Ronnie's work work was impe- when he'd throw that punch, the hands of stone, you'd never feel it. The chops would kill you, but the punch, he had the you know the eye of a fucking artist. And so they you know they just enjoyed having those
1: matches. Was the Detroit match better than the Chicago match? Um, you know, I'm trying to think. Honestly,
2: I think I saw one of those. I was there, but I couldn't, I couldn't watch in the Joe Lewis Arena. We were watching the monitor. I saw, I saw, I saw that one on tape. I think I saw the other one live. A, a lot of their house show matches were better than those because they didn't have. Time constrictions either way, and they could just go when it was right. So, but I enjoyed all of Flair's matches with Ronnie. I get because Flair worked with Wyndham, Flair worked with Sting, Flair worked with Luger, Flair worked with Steamboat. All of you know, all those other people, Ronnie gets not talked about as much, but they were good too and different because Ronnie did different shit than everybody else did.
1: Jim, our next question also comes from the Cult of Cornette Facebook group. This one was sent in by Jacob Force. Are MJF's promos too long now? And a period there. Um, Boy, we've been
2: leaning in that direction the past couple of weeks. But again, like I say, you know, bad MJF is better than most everything else on that program. So it's not like I'm going to get mad if he's talking rather than seeing you know, Felix and Pockets flipping around. But it does, especially when somebody has to respond to him, and then they have to go back and forth. I Remember, I think it was him and Cole went 17 minutes. And, you know, even though he's good, and even though it's better than most everything on the show, goddamn, they're talking me to death on the other fucking channel. And it's not even that good, but there's just uh, so much talk. And so much talk that takes so long to to, to say it. So I, I think that every once in a while, you know, instead of Tony just saying, oh, I'll give MJF 15 minutes and he'll be brilliant, give him 8 to 10 and let him still be brilliant, just briefer.
1: Okay. Like me. Like you. That was a brief answer there to that question. I ain't got many more words. I'm old alright well I got, I got bunnies to tend to alright Jim well with that the drive-thru is closed we promised people last time a song let's get a song or two this first one was sent to cornydrivethrough at gmail.com from Ray let's go to this alright let's get this show booked up
6: show them why I'm booker of the year yeah they'll see I got all the answers. Schmauze, yeah, Gaga. Yeah. jumpstart brick spot after books. yeah, I yeah. got Jumpstart Brick Spot after Every match got an afterbirth. Jumpstart, break, spot, has to work. i am a modern day Brian works. Booking all the guys playing wrestling jerks. Ain't nobody gonna tell me I'm wrong. Even Jim E, ain't nobody booking like me. You'll see Last match had an afterbirth We got a little bit of everything That can go on in a wrestling ring Jericho but if you like to sing Just don't let him take you under his wing CM Punk and Brian Daniels In my dog pockets Brandy and an alien (laughs) <laughs> we ain't gonna lead nobody out Except Jim, maybe Brian and nobody else Schmazz, gaga, jumpstart, break spot, after birth Schmazz, gaga, start, break spot, after birth My name's Penny, I'm a lesbian I couldn't get more pussy if I were lesbian I love schoolgirls, cool especially Japanese And any guy who can take my bukkake knees I play a character, in AW, Jim e- I don't know why this befuddles you Uncle Dave gave me ten stars in Corrigan Hall When I wrestled that match with an inflatable doll i am just articulate like a crossing guard From my hair to my shoes, I'm always flossing hard i wrestle men, women, and children too And yet Jim Cornette still boots Well screw him, I'm sick of Jim picking on me And sticking on me, his little coat whipping on me I'm getting real fuck hungry And eating, Kenny and the Bucks can't be beat on. Oh. Got a guy. Jumpstart, red spot after birth. Schmau. Got a guy. Jumpstart, red spot after birth. We the young bucks. Not the dumb fucks. Not the hardly boys, and not the thumb sucks. So please don't listen to this cuck. Jim wishes that he had our luck. So we better be the refs, alright. But we wrestle 30-minute clinics every night now With every single false finish hat on a hat So you can take your plate of piss And take, don't drink that Jesus <laughs> Every time we turn around, you drink more piss Relax, buddy We all trust you here Where's Cody at? He's somewhere uh, shooting another reality show or something?
1: All right, you're listening to Hot 97. (laughs) And there's the latest hit from Ray. (laughs) Every time we turn around, he's drinking that piss. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're not a big rap fan, but what'd you think of that? What'd you think of the lyrics? Uh, I I
2: like the cunning lyricism. Uh, Even if the uh, the beat was not that easy to... Well, I guess it was a beat. I don't know if dancing would be a thing. You'd just kind of have to hop up and down or side to side with that.
1: Okay, well I think that was a positive uh comment <laughs> but about it. I liked it. it. I liked it. I liked the verbiage. All right, well, let's get another one here. This one was sent to Corney at gmail.com from I don't know if he wants his real name or the other name. Well, Joseph Royal says it here. Song submission. Let's go to this. <laughs>
0: In great, Brian, a last, a show just for you about wrestling. Stories from the past, cause this show... It's better.
1: I love soul music as much as the next guy. We're halfway through. What do you want to do?
0: Oh, All right.
2: hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait a minute. Let me let me find my shit here to give them a... Where'd my goddamn applause go? There we go. We'll just play everything. Well, thank you very much. That was Joseph Royal or on Twitter at Wankman Skip. That's you a better ship. knock on wood. Now, that was more Otis Redding than Amy Stewart, but still, I was enjoying
1: that. All right, Jim, one last song here this week before we wrap things up. This one was sent a while ago, but we're going to play it by popular request. Sent to corny drive gmail.com by Austin Walker, Los Angeles, California, by way of Lakeland, Florida.
2: We don't want to make false accusations here on the program, Brian. We do not want to accuse people of behavior, either unsavory behavior, possibly criminal behavior, certainly... Uh, behavior that shouldn't be imitated. We don't want to do that if they're not guilty of it. If you
0: won't
6: on the
2: shows, you know just where
3: to go, Tony Khan. And a game six is <laughs> far more likely than a game seven, and actually, there was only a 28.1% well, chance. Well, it's
6: kind of shot out, got diarrhea of the mouth, Tony Khan.
3: So, but as the series oh, was going on, 28.1% insane. chance, so about... Six. He just
6: lies and he cries, might be high. Okay. People
2: on Twitter are calling Tony Khan either Tony Yayo, the Cocaine Cowboy, or
1: Herb Abrams Jr. I don't think it was Coke, but let's go back to this.
6: If you love new- no bigger fan than Tony Khan. Whoa, 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 whoa. That person is <laughs> Adam Cole, baby. MJF got smart, called him a fucking smart. Mark!
3: Tony Khan. I'm not gonna cover that one right now. Thanks, Nick. Um, do you have another question you wanna ask? right, ain't
6: right, he ain't right might be high. on the
3: cocaine. Every all out's been higher than the year before, every full gear's been higher than the year before, every revolution.
2: Lots of things are higher than they were. <laughs>
6: <laughs> well, he likes aqua bats, he wants it on a
3: map, Tony um, and I uh, Do you guys have Chris?
6: <laughs> if you just don't know what the hell's going on with Jericho, Tony
5: Khan. You're a wizard, Jerry.
6: He ain't right, he can't ride right, unless he's high Home okay. cocaine. Okay.
2: when anything is the shits
6: he ain't right he ain't right
2: he ain't right Tony Khan he's a nervous wreck and somebody needs to put him in a rubber room at the puzzle factory before he hurts himself in some fashion
3: like I, how many times have I watched uh, WrestleMania 17, which is like 13 matches. How many times? Now they're a little bit shorter. Now some of the 12, 13. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which you think Chris could live. But anyway, I you know, I loved it.
1: <laughs> well, there it is. Austin Walker and Tony Khan. AKA Cocaine. Oh. That that one's that one's
2: the way to end on it. He ain't right. He ain't right. Might be high. Tony Khan.
1: Well, with that, good job, Austin. The drive-thru is closed. All right. Now, let's just do it officially.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Well, we'll be back on Monday on the Jim Cornette Experience. And next week, right back here on the Jim Cornette dry- or Jim Cornette's Drive-thru. Not Not <laughs> Jim Cornette. <laughs> It's one of those days, ladies and gentlemen. Do you you remember, wait a minute, just real
2: quick. Do you remember when fucking Lance had left, Lance Russell left Memphis Television to go to work for the NWA, and Dave was left to do the close, and Dave had been sitting there for 30 years next to Lance, so the first week Lance was gone, Dave did the close, I'm Lance Russell for Dave Brown.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, close it up. I'm Jim Cornette for Brian. No, uh, go through the archive. Patreon.com slash Cornette. Go back to the archive to 2013. Patreon.com slash Cornette. Only $5 a month. The official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. Go to YouTube and search for Jim Cornette and subscribe today. Full episodes, clips of the episodes, omnibus collections. If you hear something and you want to share it, Go to the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. You can follow Jim on Twitter at the Jim Cornette. I'm on Twitter at the Great Brian Last. No, I'm not. I'm on Twitter at GreatBrianLast. You can hear me on the <laughs> 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com. Of course, don't forget about The Wrestling News at TheWrestlingNews.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast, your free daily wrestling newscast, The Wrestling News. Cornettes Collectibles at JimCornette.com. What's going on, Jim? Lots of things being sold, lots of people buying them. JimCornett.com. Order today. At JimCornett.com. Of course, the drive through is brought to you by the Law Office of Stephen P. New. 888-692-8084. Get even with Stephen at NewLawOffice.com. But until Monday on The Experience, and next week right back here on The Drive-Thru, for Jim Cornett, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho!
4: Well, it's Jim Cornette's drive-thru. Yes, it's Jim Cornette's drive-thru. Please shut up and listen while Corny is shooting. Yes, while Corny is shooting on Big fucking Putin and those outlaw much show fucks. Joey Ryan, the Young Bucks, the Rednecks and Dumb Fucks, and them door corner bum fucks. And then there's Jelly Janella. And Santino Marella, the boogeyman, the boogeyman, the boogeyman. Coney's drive-through, Coney's drive-through, Coney's drive-through. Well, it's all elite wrestling. Tony Khan is investing his millions of dollars in some dumb cosplay wrestlers. Yeah, they think they are wrestlers in video games, just like Kenny Omega. We pledge allegiance to the leader of the mighty cult of cornets and to the pro wrestling for which he stands. No blow-up dolls, kick spots, or dance routines with blood, sell-outs, and shoot angles for all. And have you heard about Riho? She weighs 45 kilos, and she's their champion. She's a Japanese schoolgirl. All the Japanese schoolgirls, like Kenny Omega, love to play with his SEGA. Yeah, they play with his Sega. You need to sue the guy for you, Steven Peter, everybody. Corny's drive-through, Corny's drive-through, Corny's drive-through, Corny's drive-through. And now here are your hosts, Jim Cornette, and the great great Brian Lass.